I mean, what's the football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on a Wednesday morning. That's right, Wednesday morning with a quick programming alert. If you've tuned in here for your normal midweek Wednesday mailbag, you know, who knows what you're going to get. Not getting it. Had to change it. Not today. I've got to do a little traveling, hitting to the, uh, getting to the airport later today. Mm-hmm. So today we're doing our week two NFL preview. You get it early. Yeah, you're just out here screwing everything up today. Completely screwing everything up. So we'll have there'll be another show tomorrow with someone else in the seat. But today we're we're previewing week two. Um, we got to put the caveat out there early though. We're pre-injury report right now. Oh yeah, pre-injury report. So anything we say cannot be held against us. <laughs> we'll do our best to navigate the potential injuries for this weekend. But we have not had a Wednesday injury report yet. But we're still going to preview the games. All right. Do you have anything else to add here at the top? No, not really at the top. I think we're pretty good. Um, head to the, uh, the the new Discord. Its link is in the description. All that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to be trying to use the Discord to, you know, create stuff for the show. So um, question of the week, that kind of thing. That will be in our usual Wednesday show that isn't happening this week because you're making us preview the season on the Wednesday. Yeah, we're doing week two. We're doing week two preview. But that means there's a pretty good chance that that features tomorrow. When you're not, you're not here. Yeah, makes sense. All right, we ready to go? Mm-hmm. All right, so we have 16 games because it's uh, because we're doing this on Wednesday. So Thursday night football. Oh God! It kicks off with the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. Don't you forget how quick the week goes? Like you're just digesting the previous week, and then boom, Thursday night football. Yep, it's there. Eagles are favored by seven at home here. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Doug Farrar tweeted this out as well. This is what you're going to be focusing on. I think it's what everybody's going to be focusing on. Jalen Carter was dominant week one. Looked like not just could he replace Javon Hargrave, but he might be an upgrade over Javon Hargrave. Yeah. Uh, and now he gets to go against the Minnesota Vikings interior offensive line, which is still a weakness. Um, that has disaster written all over it from a Vikings perspective. That's got to be the biggest thing in this game I think yeah and remember it's it's just one matchup right so when we talk about there were some defensive tackles this past weekend that absolutely wrecked games quote-unquote wrecked games it doesn't always show up within the game because like even when uh, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis had had really good games up front the Patriots really struggled at guard and they were in the backfield a lot but Mac Jones had a few passes where he was under pressure and he still completed them but over time if you keep winning up front winning up front winning up front seven eight times a game that has a huge impact on the offense so yeah that's going to be a massive challenge especially if it happens on the right place you know you see that if if Jordan Jefferson Jefferson's running wide open in the secondary and it happens to be on the play where Jalen Carter wins in two seconds you're done so it's that is a matchup to keep an eye on where the Vikings are going to have to give Carter and maybe Jordan Davis extra extra attention yeah it's not even it doesn't you know always show up in games I would say it rarely shows up in games to the extent where it impacts who's going to win and lose um it's 
there's a reason there's only a couple of people getting injured position-wise that, that move the line, you know, the Vegas line, the point spread. Essentially, Vegas has said that one individual player at most positions, no matter how good he is, being out is unlikely to change the outcome of the game. And most of the time, they're right. Usually, it's an accumulation of injuries or when you know the drop-off at a certain position is so massive it's not even like this guy is amazing it's that the dude coming in to replace him is terrible and that is what can change the game so you see that at corner sometimes where you know the drop-off between a good guy and the guy who's now number three four five on the depth chart is catastrophic and that's the problem but there are individual matchups in the trenches that are so one-sided that it can change games and it's not necessarily that you can predict them but when they happen it's clear. I mean, the Vikings were on the receiving end of one last year when Dexter Lawrence in the playoffs basically decided, I'm going to stop you winning this game on yes. my own and you can't block me. There's nothing you can do about it. And that, that really did determine the outcome of that game. Obviously, other things were a factor, but Dexter Lawrence moved the needle in terms of them winning that game or not. This is that kind of mismatch. Jalen Carter against anybody on the interior of that Vikings offensive line has the potential to create that kind of havoc for Minnesota. Nice matchup on the outside. Justin Jefferson, we've got uh, James Bradbury's in concussion protocol, yes? So we'll see a little Justin Jefferson, Darius Slay. Don't know if James Bradbury will be there to play on Thursday night. Um, we didn't see as much two tight ends, as, as many two tight end sets as I expected from the Vikings. I'm curious if they end up getting to that, the TJ Hawkinson, Josh Oliver look. Um, they were still pretty much a, a three wide receiver type of team. I thought Kirk Cousins played all right, had some weird plays in there, had some you know good downfield passes. Jordan Jefferson was un, uh, Justin Jefferson was unco uncoverable in week one uh, in the first half, but then you know slowed down a little bit in the second half. But I like that matchup for the Vikings because Justin Jefferson is still awesome. So I think it's going to come down to Jefferson needs to have an incredible game here because I don't like the matchup on either side. I think you've got game wrecker on one side for the Eagles on defense on the other side. <coughs> The Eagles did not do did they do not play well no. offensively. Now, how much of that was they were sleepwalking, they were conservative with a big lead that they were handed. They were playing in the rain a little bit early on. They were playing a good Patriots defense. Patriots defense was just fundamentally sound in the run game and they, they did a really nice job. Minnesota, on the other hand, do they have the defensive front to stop the Eagles run game, to handle the offensive line like New England did, and then in the secondary to cover A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I don't love it for Minnesota. It's interesting. He, the Eagles' performance, so you see, you know, week one, power rankings come out, right? And it's, it's overreaction season, so everyone goes, oh, wow, look at this. After week one, you know, random team with a win. Like Dallas goes up to number two or one. Did you see my power rankings? I didn't. No. I put, because this is how people do power rankings. Yeah. Not to, I'm just, I'm going to add some flavor to what you're saying. All the 1-0 and o teams? 16 teams are tied. <laughs> Okay. For first. Oh, first. Tied. Yep. And 17 teams, or 16 teams are tied for 17th yeah. at 0 and 1. Okay. Because that's pretty much how people do their power rankings. Yeah. Did you win? You go to the top. Right. Oh, you lost, but you're the Chiefs. Oh, I think we'll drop you to five. We'll drop you to five. Right. But, you, but usually there's a sort of huge swing of instant reaction, like Dallas shoots up to number one or two on power rankings, right? Um, and, and it was all those sort of high, the, the fields teams. Dallas goes to number one. San Francisco goes to number two. Like, dominant week one performances. Um, people didn't drop Philadelphia. So I saw power rankings from somebody where the top three teams were in the NFC. 
which is obviously not what you expect heading into a season where the narrative is, oh, the AFC is incredible, the NFC sucks. Um, But And it was San Francisco, dominant week one win, Dallas, dominant week one win, and then Philadelphia, who like stumbled over the line against the Patriots having built a 16-0 lead early in the game. Um, People didn't ding them for that rough outing. I don't know if it's just because they won or because it's like, you know, we give them some credit in the bank because they made the Super Bowl last year, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think that week one performance will put some pressure on them, even if it's only internal, to show up against Minnesota and prove that they are a dominant team and that, like, you know, things are still well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's many reasons not to overreact to week one. Like, you shouldn't drop the Eagles that far. There's There's many reasons not to overreact to week one. Here's a few of them. Small sample sizes, obviously. It's only one game. Matchups. Right, You had a very specific matchup in week one, and week two will be very different. And then just home field advantage, generally. I think the biggest mistakes people make, I say this every single year, is when the home team looks great in week one, and then they go on the road in week two, and it's like it's a little different, right, or, and vice versa. So the Eagles get to go home in a good matchup against Minnesota where they have some serious advantages with their receivers against Minnesota's cornerbacks, with with the Eagles' defensive line against the Vikings' pass blockers. I mean, there's a lot of advantages here. That's why the Eagles are favored by seven. So where are you leaning here? You get the, you get the Vikings, who play a lot of close games. Mm. Other interesting, or not interesting, notable, I guess, injury concerns. You talked about James Bradbury, uh, questionable with the concussion. N'Kobe Dean's going to be out. Like yep. He had a Liz Frank injury in his foot that's going to put him out for a while. Bummer for him. He looked, I think, pretty good at linebacker. I also wonder if the Eagles' run game performance in week one is going to change how they see that backfield. Um, Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch week one. I don't think that that's smart. I don't know if they want to do that again week two, but we'll see. Um, was it week two, by the way? Was it Monday Night Football week two last year these teams played when Kirk Cousins kept throwing the ball to Darius Slay? I wouldn't do that if I was Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I, would, I would specifically avoid doing that. Last fact. time these teams played, Minnesota, uh, Philadelphia absolutely handed it to them. And again, that doesn't always matter for the matchup, but it's just it's something to remember. Yeah, and you know, short week, so any of these sort of injuries coming out of week one are potentially bigger problems, like Christian Darasol with an ankle injury. Yeah. You don't have a lot of time to get that ready, and there's a pretty good pass rush coming your way. That could be an issue. Seven points is a lot. I still feel like the Eagles might be worth it, though. Um, I don't know. I have big questions about this Minnesota team heading into the season generally, but week one didn't do anything to remove those. They also they lost to the Bucs, who we didn't think were that good going in. They right. might be better than we thought, but there's a chance that that was a matchup of, you know, by the way, the you, didn't, you, underwhelming. you didn't update the people. You went eight and eight in your. Uh, oh, and our, our week one. We both picks. did, in fact, but you specifically is notable because you very much didn't go eight and eight most of last year. I didn't get my eighth win till week eight last year. Right. Something like that. Yeah, we're both eight and eight after week one. Uh, I think I think my son Harry's at six or seven. So oh, let me uh, let me check. This is another thing we're going to do with the Discord is like the the Discord game of the week, which is going to be essentially which is the closest game using the votes of the Discord. So what do we All got? Right. You go check that out. I'm going to take the Eagles to cover the seven. Are you Same. taking the Eagles to cover the yeah. seven? We're both taking Philly. The to good cover. news is this is not the game of the week. <laughs> this is very heavily favored towards Philadelphia. I highlighted some stuff that could be the game of the week, but you show me which one it is in the Discord. Right, but I it. need to remind you, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. 
Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Did you find the game of the week in there? Yeah, I did. Got it. It's the next one, right? So what, what we got up next? Packers-Falcons? Yep. That oh, is the I, I closest you, game. I might go in the order of the blue, the other ones that I've highlighted as the best games. Do you want to put those at the top, and then we'll circle back to everything else? Isn't that how we used to do it? And you we did. I just didn't to? reorder the document. Okay. I went I, back to it. This uh, A lot of people, by the way, we've got a lot of new people here, and uh-huh. we appreciate it. A lot of new listeners. A lot yep. of new listeners, uh, viewers on YouTube, listeners in podcast land, and we appreciate you. Please stick around for the entire season because we'll do this every single week. Even if you disagree with us, let's just have some fun. Uh, Packers-Falcons here. We get the Falcons. Uh, sorry, Packers are favored by one and a half. The winner is going to be 2-0 and mm. in the NFC. So this is the Discord game of the week, which means it's the closest vote of the games in terms of who's going to win, who's going to lose. So this is the game that Discord thinks will be the closest. I think it's – I mean, Atlanta getting one and a half at home, it shows – yeah, I mean, Vegas thinks it's going to be close. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tough one to figure out. Again, when, we're, when we talk about week one overreactions, we'll talk about the Bears later. The Packers win. More impressive for the Packers or just bad by the Bears, right? And just roughly, I, I want to reference what J.T. O'Sullivan did. His, <laughs> um, he did a one-hour Bears breakdown. You know, one hour? One, he did an hour, man. Wow. And I only saw the highlights where he was just disgusted yeah. with the Bears' offense, their execution, their play calls, Justin Fields. He was disgusted with everything. When you watch something like that or you see the Bears running incompetent offense, say, and then the Packers, they've got the – you call it the yoink play, the mm. leak play where the tight end Luke Musgrave gets behind the defense and nobody's near him, and that's a big chunk play. And Aaron Jones creates this big chunk play. How much of that's the Packers? How much of that is bad Bears? You could make the same statement for the Falcons. Rookie quarterback, Bryce Young, Carolina doesn't look great offensively. How much was Atlanta's two-touchdown win? You know, you know, how impressive was that in week one? So they get to, we get to learn a little bit more about both teams here. I think it's a, it's a pretty fun matchup, though. Yeah, I mean, Chicago certainly looked reasonably incompetent in that game um, between bad offense – incomprehensible plays uh, and an offensive line that was getting its ass kicked on a fairly regular basis they couldn't do an awful lot and Green Bay's defense therefore looked amazing Green Bay's offense also looked pretty handy as well um, but I think that might be more legitimate based off but it's another similar story right it's like Green Bay's offensive line allowed two pressures in the game Aaron Rodgers and the Jets allowed two pressures in two snaps like but we know Chicago's defensive line last year the single worst defensive line in the NFL, and all of the players they added to the group this offseason, we didn't really like. So you're like, well, why would you expect that to be any better than awful again? So that's a sort of more which, which way is it. But for Atlanta, I mean, I think they did 
what we expected them to do on offense. They looked pretty good. That, I think, is more for real. But now we get to understand more about, you know, what happens to Green Bay when, you know, the the opposition is a little bit stiffer. Like, uh, the offense, okay, Desmond Ritter is still a huge question mark, but it's it's competent at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I love looking at the trench battles, and I love looking at the, you know, receiver, defensive back matchups. There are some fun ones in this one. I think when you look at uh, Green Bay's defensive front, again, how much – were they beating up on the Bears, or how much are they taking a step forward? Devontae Wyatt, we had we had um, we had anticipated <clears throat> maybe a, a year two breakout for Devontae Wyatt. So far, so good as far as that goes. T.J. Slayton, pretty stout up front at linebacker. Quay Walker, we mentioned that pick six the other day. That was incredible. Did he take a step forward? Rashawn Gary had just a handful of rushes and looked unblockable. He had a pass rush win rate of 50%. Yes. They, they like eased him back into it. You so know, he was blockable, but 50% of the time, right. which is unblockable. You're only going to play 12 snaps because we're just, you know, easing you back into the system. You're like, well, on 12 snaps, I was able to win half the time, which is about twice the rate elite players usually win at. I might need a bigger workload next week. It, it would be ironic if the year Aaron Rodgers leaves and the Packers are like, right. that's it. We're every, every former top pick is going to hit and we're going to go or even just like 15 last year, points per game allowed. The narrative from last, yeah, the narrative of last year, this is the best defense Aaron Rodgers ever played with. Well, what if it becomes that just a year after he leaves that would, I mean, for Rodgers just a year later, the, the, the irony couldn't get much more potent, but for green Bay, it, it would propel them in the right direction. I towards the playoffs. So they've got some, Playoffs. So Green Bay looks like they could be stout up front against this Atlanta offensive line, who was fantastic last year in that scheme. They run the outside zone. A um, couple of guys underwhelmed last week for Atlanta, but that's going to be the battle, right? Because Desmond Ritter, lowest average depth of target in the league. Um, somebody pointed out on that Bijan touchdown, Ritter had like negative seven yards passing, and then he threw the pass that should have been another negative five. Right. That Bijan turned into a touchdown. I mean, that was the kind of other than a, you know a chuck into one-on-one coverage that uh, Kyle Pitts turned into a big play. Wasn't much downfield passing for Atlanta, so I think they have to do a little bit more in this, in this game. I mean, look, Ritter needs to be better. Like, Ritter completed 15 of 18, which is, you know, 83%. That's good. Uh, but for only 115 yards, six and a half yards per attempt, one of which was Kyle Pitts doing Kyle Pitts, other plays of which were Bijan being ridiculous. Like, and here's the big thing. Like, if you're going to... Ritter is the prototypical right now game manager. Like, just go out there and don't do anything dumb, and we're probably in a pretty good spot. He had, you know, a turnover-worthy play. Like, he had a bad play in there. He cannot, he needs to be flawless in terms of glaring mistakes in order for that level of lack of production to be acceptable. That, that can work. Like, that's the sort of... You know, there are players out there that have done that in the past where if you simply bring nothing terrible to the table, we're in a pretty good spot. Even if you don't bring anything positive, that's fine. If you're going to have, though, like one turnover-worthy play for Desmond Ritter can basically undo his entire day, whereas Josh Allen can go out there and have three or four of them and still be in a pretty good spot because he'll make four, five, six, seven big-time throws and offset it. Now, obviously, we saw on Monday night, the downside of that kind of approach it can go catastrophically wrong but Ritter needs to have clean games in order for this thing to work Um, Atlanta's defense on that side of the ball we mentioned on the review show a lot of their newcomers all stepping up from Jesse Bates to Caden Ellis to 
David Onyemata. Need big games from them. Remember the Packers' offensive line, their blockers overall allowed just two pressures the entire game. So Atlanta, can they win up front? They have not had, they have not had a good edge rush situation in seven years, eight years. Like when was the last time? Atlanta's been drafting edge rushers since middle of last decade. And um, yeah, they have Calais Campbell there and Grady Jarrett. They've, they're better on the interior. Can they create a little bit more on the edge? Lorenzo Carter had a few nice plays the other day, but they need more, especially against the Packers here. If Jordan Love's sitting back there with time, we've seen they're going to create some open throws, and they did. Yeah, I mean, they have, they've, they're in a better spot than they were a year ago on that front in terms of pass rush. They, they were only marginally less incompetent than Chicago's defensive line last year. Like when you sort of plotted all this on a graph, you know, pressure rate versus all that kind of like Chicago's off on their own little island down here. The next team off away from the group was Atlanta. And then, you know, the rest of the teams started to surface. So it was basically just Grady Jarrett last year. Now at the minimum, it should be Grady Jarrett, David Onyemata, Calais Campbell will add something. And then it's like, what can they get from the edge rushers that are still a potential weakness? But that's, I mean, that's dramatically better than last year already. I'm really torn on this one because I think I, I, I was impressed by Atlanta in week one. I don't want to downplay what either team did. You know, I think both teams have solid expectations this year, but they, they look good in week one, both the Packers and the Falcons. My initial instinct was the Falcons, and as I talk through it, I'm leaning Green Bay. Also, it was a pretty close game until the very end. You know, Green Bay ran away with it against, yeah. against the Bears. It they was both close. Were, to be fair. I mean, they were Carolina both close games, around. true. Where are you going to go with this one? Um, I have more faith in Green Bay, I think, than Atlanta now. I Their offensive line, the Falcons, was a little bit concerning. If Green Bay's defense is for real, they could have some problems on that side. And then the other side, even though I just talked up their improvements, I mean, Green Bay's offensive line might be one of the top three in the NFL, which means Atlanta's probably not going to get much pressure. So if Jordan Love doesn't throw the ball to Jesse Bates twice like Bryce Young did, they should be in a better spot. I'm going Green Bay. A uh, couple questions about Jordan Love's grade. I know he had three touchdowns, no picks. One of the touchdowns, though, that little angle route to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones doing a lot of the work. And then the yoink play, as we said, a free 35 or however many yards it was. So you're talking... Which was dramatically underthrown. Yeah, he had, he had nine. It, well, also, Love dropped the snap. Right, He dropped the snap. Yes, he picked it up again, but he dropped the snap. That's a fumble. That's basically a turnover-worthy play. You can't control the fumble and everything. Um, and Love had some wild misses in there. So we'll see if Love – because I don't think Love played the cleanest game, despite the stats. No. And if he does that again, then, you know. He also had some just some bad misses in there. Not, like, bad turnover-worthy, but bad, like, come on, you got to have Just that. missed by a, yeah. a, by right. a lot or whatever. Which is, yeah. you know, his M.O. coming – I mean, coming into the NFL, but probably also still his MO. Like, you know, the production was good. A lot of it was yards after the catch. You know, Aaron Jones just wrecking TJ Edwards multiple times. Um, and he needs to, I mean, you need that accuracy to be a bit better. A 63% adjusted completion rate is bad. All right. We're both taking Green Bay, though. Yep. To cover the one and a half in Atlanta. That's the Discord game of the week, yeah? Discord game. So how, do we, how does that work again? People go to the Discord, and we're going to have all the games up there for people to pick? There is a channel in the Discord called Pick NFL Winners, and each game of the week is up there, and you simply vote on the winner. Fantastic. And Discord the, game the of the Discord week. Discord game of the week will be the closest vote, essentially. The game Can't wait to watch it. Discord thinks will be the closest.
All right, we're going to do an, uh, we'll go through another couple game of the week type of games, biggest games of the week. Let's go Kansas City Chiefs at the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a uh, playoff rematch from last year. Chiefs on the road, favored by three against the Jags. Mm-hmm. A couple, uh, well, Jags are 1 0 here. Chiefs coming off that disappointing loss to the Lions. Chris Jones is back. Is he going to play? Is he in game shape? I mean, Chris Jones has been re signed. Uh, won't get into a lot of the details other than. Anybody with any sense of contracts and whatever, from Brad Spielberger to everyone else you might read, say it's just a wasted holdout. Yeah. Because they just tacked on some incentives to his contract this year. They can right. still franchise tag him at the end of the year. That's the brutal thing. Not a great, not a great. Yeah. We'll talk to Brad Chris about Jones. this more in one of the next two days. But yeah, that doesn't feel like a great win for Chris Jones. On the other hand, for the Chiefs, it's a win because not only. Do they not have to pay him a ton more, but they get him back now, which is important. Um, yeah, like I, I feel like Kansas City is a classic, you know, overreaction possibility out of week one. The two two of their best three players should be back on the field for this game. That's a pretty important milestone. Also, we'll still see on Kelsey. I think he'll be good. A, a lot of other people said it's really a multi-week injury. And even though they thought, oh, we'll test it out and we'll see if he plays last week, like he wasn't close. It wasn't like he was kind of close, and it hurt. Yeah. he wasn't close. So we don't know that Kelsey's back yet. No, but the other element is, I mean, that was one of the worst wide receiver performances collectively you're ever going to see in an NFL yeah. game last season or last week. That's not going to happen twice in a row. Like, Kadarius Tony is not going to have the worst game an NFL player has had since 2018 by our grades twice consecutively. Sky Moore is unlikely to run 30 routes and just barely see the ball twice in a row like something is going to give there that Mahomes was able to put the ball in his receiver's hands multiple times in that game for plays that should have could have extended the drive and they conspired not to to let that happen so I feel like the baseline for that offense even Kelsey-less is better than a, than a week ago and now Chris Jones is being added back to the defense uh, we got one quick update here <coughs> Nick Sirianni is saying that James Bradbury for the Eagles James Bradbury and Kenneth Gainwell trending toward not playing on Thursday night. So if we could just cut that and just drop it into the uh, Eagles-Vikings analysis. Well, we talked about questionable with the concussion. We're yeah, good. so I'm just, I'll give you updates. I'll give you updates as we go here live on a Wednesday morning. Appreciate everybody. Lively chat here, as always, on YouTube. Um, but this is a great matchup, right? A lot of people love the Jags. And um, to me, this is another one of those Trevor Lawrence statement type of games. I thought he played pretty well in the playoff game against Kansas City but I think to beat the Chiefs even the Chiefs that just lost to beat the Chiefs you got to play at an elite level and Lawrence has to he's got to have those special plays he had a bunch of them last week against Indianapolis loved his game um, loved watching Calvin Ridley and their connection right away like the Jags I think have the horses to put up points and compete with Kansas City's offense but I'm curious to know how good Chris Jones is in his return because the Jags interior offensive line it didn't look good on paper coming into the season Brandon Scherf got banged up during the game they didn't look great against the Colts that led to the DeForest Buckner had his way with them and he had the strip sack that ended up being a touchdown Chris Jones if he's in game shape can wreak havoc up front Mm -hmm. and then again the trickle down to the other Kansas City defensive linemen they still only gave up 14 points against the Lions the other night so um, I think it's going to be a good matchup on that side of the ball. Do you think there's a 
decent amount of pressure on Kansas City after dropping that game because we're in this world now. This is, you know, week one is overreaction. An 0-2 hole is significant for any team. Like, obviously, Cincinnati showed last year. You can dig out of it. It's not the worst thing in the world. But it's a lot of pressure if you're 0-2. I might make this comparison a million times over the next 10 years. But the only comparison, we, we consider the Chiefs, like they're the closest thing to a dynasty, right, in, in the current NFL. The last dynasty was the Patriots. It lasted 20 years. But they had their ups and downs, right? And there was plenty of times in New England where people declared them dead. Um, I don't think they ever started 0-2, but they'd start 1-2. Or they'd get waxed by Kansas City on Monday Night Football and they were declared dead. I mean, that stuff happens. So... They're still the Chiefs, right? They still show up to practice this week, and they're still really, really good. They still have Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes looked good in that game despite poor second-half stats and all the drops. So, yeah, I think there's pressure. But even if they did fall all 0-2, I, I, I'm not ready to write them off. But I think they're, they're going to write the ship this week. So I would, I'm, I'm leaning towards Kansas City in this one. But I, I love the matchup. It's a huge game for the Jags mm. to say – we're not just the best team in the AFC South. We're up there. We're with Kansas City and those other teams that were supposed to be good, the Bills and the Bengals, all of, all of which are 0-1 right now, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's a, bit, <clears throat> it's a big opportunity, I think, for Jacksonville. Like, last week with Detroit felt a little bit like you kind of need to win this game because Kansas City is so depleted in terms of their best players. If you can't beat them now under these circumstances, like, when are you going to be able to do it? For Jacksonville, though, I think... You know, Kansas City is getting some of those players back. And now it's just, it's almost, they're in it. They got a, a win. Kansas City didn't. Like, it's a big opportunity for them, I think, to sort of put a statement out there that, yeah, we are a for real team at this kind of level, and let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, well, it's still the Chiefs. Yeah, so um, the other the guy that I like to watch every single week, too, Trayvon Walker for the Jags. We did have a question in the chat about him. A solid game as a pass rusher the other day, not terrible actually struggled from a, uh, a run defense standpoint, got um, lost contain at least once. I mean, that's more of a mental error than anything. Out of position a couple times, so didn't end up with the best grade. But Trayvon Walker showing some flashes as a rusher, did have a sack. I mean, that's what the Jags need. If we remember the divisional playoff game last year, the one thing that stood out to me a ton, this was the game where Mahomes hurt his ankle and he could not move. They had to take him out, right? Chad Henney comes in, goes 99-yard touchdown drive. Um, Mahomes could not move and it was like the Chiefs offensive line put the clamps down in the second half and they said not only are we not going to allow pressure you're not going to get anywhere close to Mahomes right so the Jags need to get some kind of pressure Josh Allen on the other side had a really good game they moved Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen around a lot last week Donovan Smith had some issues at left tackle for the Chiefs I want to see that Donovan Smith matchup if Josh Allen's on that side when Trayvon Walker's on that side See if they can get some pressure. And even the pressure that the Lions got against the Chiefs, no sacks of Mahomes because he's just an absolute magician, feels the pressure, knows where to go, gets rid of the ball. I think the Jags need to take him down a couple times. They need to create some negative plays because I don't, I'm with you. I don't expect the Chiefs to be that bad at uh, receiver, at pass catcher this week. Um, <clears throat> I think one thing from week one, though, that could be interesting is, like there was a lot of talk, obviously, on uh, Juwan Taylor and his – stance and his uh potential jumping offside or not jumping false starting um but that offensive line generally had its hands full with the detroit pass rush i mean donovan smith at left tackle 
had problems and we he's been de- he's declined in the past already we sort of assumed it would be a bit of a bounce back Trey Smith like the guards had problems as well and then Juwan Taylor had his stuff which is I think generally not a huge problem but like that would give you signs of life as opposition of hey maybe maybe that tackle change that they went through is actually not you know an upgrade and that's a, an area we can attack again are you okay over there? No. What's wrong? That's, that's What's something that my can't get the can't get it out of my throat. I'll give you one more matchup to watch. Um, again, I don't know what Chris Jones is going to be like, but remember there are times when they line him up on the edge. Mm-hmm. Not a couple years ago, but they picked their spots. And at right tackles, rookie Anton Harrison. He's he's a rookie. He's okay. You know, he's 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 got. He's got work to do. They, if the Chiefs pick their spots, hey, we're going to put Chris Jones on Anton Harrison for three or four key rushes. Just keep an eye on that. That's exactly what Chris Jones did in the AFC Championship, had the sack that allowed for the game-winning drive for the Chiefs. So um, I think Kansas City bounces back here, not just because of Chris Jones or Kelsey, but because they're still the Chiefs, and I'm going right. to believe in them until they give me a lot more evidence that I shouldn't. Yeah, I mean – I think they were very, very bad last week and missing key players, and they still almost won. Um, this week, I think both of those things should be better, which probably means they'll win. Okay. We got Google Docs trying to trying to log me out. They're making me sign back, back in. in. Wow. In the middle of the – do they know we're live? No, they don't. Do they know that football's back in full swing with another week of epic games? Do they even know that, Sam? Nope. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of those games? It's DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season because, listen, all DraftKings customers, every single one, can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code PFF to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for a problem. Gambling call... I thought somebody cut this out and it keeps going. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Nobody answered me. I'm cutting that a little bit, (laughs) apparently. I thought it was cut. Sheet was cut off. Uh, It's still there. Go to the DraftKings app. Promo code's PFF. But we're done with um, ad reads for the day. Sweet. Um, we're both taking Kansas City. Yep. So we're both in lockstep in our first three games. Yeah. All right. I've picked two other somewhat games of the week here. Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are favored by three and a half. This is where Vegas knows. I mean, you said, hey, the power rankings. People didn't overreact to the Eagles. Vegas is not allowed to overreact, right? They can't be like, oh, the Bengals are terrible now. Ravens by six, right? History matters. And so uh, – I'm still not in overreaction territory for the Bengals. I wasn't in week one last year either, and they still lost in week two, but eventually they figured it out. So I don't know if they're going to figure it out right now, but right, Cincinnati's favored by three and a half over the Ravens. Ravens looked good in week one. Bengals didn't, Mm -hmm. but that's the nature of football here. Yeah, shouldn't be a rain game, hopefully, and that changes everything. (laughs) Rain game, and then Ravens were at home. Bengals were on the road. That flips. Like All that stuff matters in this discussion. Mm. Um, Here's the other thing I'll cite that I've cited many times over the last couple of years. My, the most impressive thing about Zach Taylor is bouncing back from bad games. They've had bad games in the past. I expect them to bounce back. 
that could kill a team having those types of demoralizing losses, and we haven't seen it from Cincinnati for two straight years. Yeah, I will say about one thing that seems to be strange about the Bengals and, and Zach Taylor and all that kind of stuff is, you know, a lot of teams spent, you know, like the, the sort of stat that Andy Reid with extra time is always insane. Now he lost, so it's not that insane. Um, but a lot of these guys where you're like, oh, they had nine months to work on this and look what they broke out in week one, all this creativity, all these changes, all these tweaks, blah, blah, blah. The Bengals' offense seems to get more vanilla like the longer they have to work on it. They come out early every season and run this, like the offense that Zach Taylor arrived in Cincinnati with, as opposed to any new wrinkles, any extra layer of creativity, any, oh, look, here's the new change in the Miami offense with Mike McDaniel. Teams are going to have to go away into the lab and figure out how to stop this. The Bengals, it's like this is the step one. I don't know if this is just an approach of, the way installs work with Cincinnati and Zach Taylor, like he specifically tries to get all the fundamentals done and then like over the course of the year maybe builds and adds bells and whistles to this thing. But I wonder if it does leave them vulnerable to these slow starts where they're just behind where everybody else is in terms of adding elements to the offense. And I I think that was an issue in week one. Now, look, their offensive line got wrecked by the Browns as well, so that didn't help. Um, But... You know, the the sort of disgust that J.T. O'Sullivan had over the, the Bears' offense, and that, it's a whole different world, but the Bengals' offense had a real lack of creativity and putting players in a position to win as opposed to just going out there and saying, go and win. I was, I was looking up uh, RPOs the other day, too. I think they had the second highest percentage of RPOs la- uh, last week. And I, that's, not, that's not, like, against your point. I don't think that's some special level of creativity by the Bengals. I actually think that's not playing to their strengths whatsoever. That's just, I mean, whatever. It's a run play where you can pass it, fine. But their strength is in those playmakers that can make plays down the field. And sure, T. Higgins uh, was getting beat up on the outside by the Browns' corners, and they were, they were real physical. But you got to keep giving T. Higgins opportunities. You have to keep giving Jamar Chase opportunities. I don't want a horizontal pass game if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals. You want to figure out a way to create the vertical passing attack that has been so special, right? Joe Burrow's downfield accuracy. And I see the chats. Chat's upset that we mentioned rain game again, but it actually matters. Like if you can't grip the ball and throw it, you're not going to throw the ball down the field, so you have to adjust a little bit. So Burrow's coming off a terrible game, but we have way more information on Joe Burrow. Like if he was a rookie, we'd say, oh, no, this is, he, might, he might never be good. Mm-hmm. But he's not a rookie. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league the last couple of years, so he'll be better this week in Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, I think I have I do have very little concern about the Bengals long term. Now, I might still have concern about them this week. This week, yeah. Um, I mean, look, I think I like week one. One of my takeaways: I was more impressed by San Francisco than I was worried about Pittsburgh. I think the Bengals Browns game. I think that spoke more to the Browns defense is real and is a is a complete. Uh, night and day game change from a year ago as opposed to uh oh real problems in Cincinnati this is going to be an issue I still think the Bengals offense is going to be fine they just ran up against a very very difficult looking defense to deal with one thing to keep an eye on uh, Jonah Williams we mentioned his move from left to right tackle basically in year five of his career those are the risky ones he didn't look good in week one mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't look good last year but there were reasons Jonah yeah. Williams didn't look good last year he had a knee injury for he the had a knee injury. of last year he like, was playing through injury last year yeah. 
So, but the move to left from left to right tackle, like we saw Panay Sewell take seven weeks to actually look good at right tackle after he made the move, and he looked horrible early on. So that might be one of those things that just takes a little bit of time for the offensive line to to mesh for Cincinnati. And then the Ravens, Adafi Owe had uh, seven pressures, I think, the other day. David Ajabo had the, the strip sack. Some of those Ravens young rushers, they look good. It was against a bad Texans offensive line, but can they do it again yeah. this week? The biggest thing, this is another one where Baltimore came out of that week one game with a pretty extensive injury list, yes, laundry that's list the, of guys. So Ronnie Stanley um, with his, what was it, a knee injury for him? He's probably out. Marlon Humphrey. Uh, was injured with a foot injury, Tyler Linderbaum. So the two offensive linemen, he, I think, had an ankle injury. All three of those guys might miss the game. Certainly, I think Stanley is expected to, and that's a big blow on on the offensive line. So Baltimore, and obviously J.K. Dobbins is done with, a, with an Achilles injury. Um, it was a rough week. Right, and Marcus Williams, by the way. So Marcus Williams with the biceps, right? That's potentially five starters that are out. Yeah, so it's the um, – look, I had concerns – uh, with the Ravens secondary, even with Marlon Humphrey. But with Ronald Darby, what, year, year nine in his career, Brandon Stevens, I mean, they've got some questions there. I think, I think the Bengals have their success on the outside and look much better this week. Um, Baltimore was interesting because they didn't have to do a whole lot offensively. Lamar put the ball on the turf a couple times. I don't think we got a whole lot of answers about, hey, how good is this new offense, other than they got Zay Flowers in space a bunch, and he looked dynamic. Mm-hmm. So be keeping an eye on that. But I think, I think Baltimore is just too banged up for this one. Where are you going? It's um, Bengals one, by three and a half. One thing that was interesting, by the way, um, you know, all the, all the talk heading into the, the season was Baltimore was going to spread the ball much more. They were going to go 11 personnel. They were going to look much more like the Louisville offense in college. They didn't. I mean, they were 28th in 11 personnel usage this, this, year, this week week one they had 28 out of 64 snaps on offense including you know no plays and stuff were 11 personnel that's i mean it's more than they used to be with the million tight end formations but it's not like they didn't jump up to the the average in the nfl is 60 percent so they didn't even get anywhere near average let alone one of the more 11 personnel happy teams in the league that's an interesting development in terms of where this offense is going to go or how it's trying to maybe bridge maybe you split the difference between what Munkin maybe wants to run and, and the old offense they're not going from one extreme to the other they're kind of charting a middle course yeah I want to I want to see how that how that moves throughout the year too because they they were in control of a lot of that game against Houston sure. so how much of that is the game flow and everything so um three and a half Sam where you going? Mm. We got it at three on the screen here. You, you, you saw it at three and a half? I saw it at three and a half, but I'm, you know, these things move. Who let's knows? use the screen. Let's you say it's use three. three? Yeah, let's use three because I'm okay. taking Cincinnati. Okay, that's fair. I'll yeah. take what's on the screen. I'm just... also taking Cincinnati. Um, not so much. I think Cincinnati might struggle again this week, but I think Baltimore's pretty banged up, and that could cost them. All right, I would do one more really good game of the week, and then we'll just go in order for the rest of them. Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. It's Sunday night football. Uh, Miami favored by two and a half here in New England Sunday night. Patriots haven't beaten the Dolphins in what four tries, I believe. I think two is undefeated against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Dolphins coming off of that impressive win against the Chargers, thirty-six points. Two of the highest-graded quarterback of the week, Tyree Kill, uncoverable in New England coming off the game where I think there's a lot more optimism in New England after losing to the Eagles by only five. 
because they played well defensively. Uh, the offense looked much more crisp than it did last year with Bill O'Brien uh, calling the plays this year. So I think it's a good matchup here, Dolphins and Patriots. No, it is. Um, I mean, look, this is a, f a great bounce back, or not bounce back, this is a great follow-up from last week where Mike McDaniel's offense showed the next step of their evolution and the Chargers had nothing to answer them, schematically, let alone in, on an individual basis. Now that offense goes up against Bill Belichick, right? That, that's a great litmus test for where exactly it is. They were streets ahead of the Chargers last week, but we don't know if, that was, if that's what the Miami offense is going to look like or if that's, that's how far off those, that Chargers defense was. So this is going to be a great test for are they just going to set fire to the league again like they did for a big stretch of last season or you know, does a really smart defensive-minded head coach actually have some neutralizing qualities for this offense um i don't have all the numbers in front of me but bill belichick has played his defenses have played against tyree kill often right since 2018 with mahomes but even before that and in the past they would take a guy like jonathan jones at corner who's got four three speed and man him up and give safety help and everything but to do that you got to play single high like you have to play man coverage elsewhere and the challenge with the dolphin there's two challenges with the dolphins there's another Tyree Kill type of player named Jalen Waddell, <laughs> yeah. who's also fast. And then all of the motion that they use, right? So it's where I made a mistake last week. I said, hey, the last time the Chargers played the Dolphins, they were physical and they got up and pressed. Well, the Dolphins used pressure 75% of the time last week. I'm sorry, motion 75% of the time last week. Second highest in the league behind, of course, Kyle Shanahan and the Niners, including that play where Tyree, Tyree Kill is going to line up a tight end motion out to receiver on the same side you know it's an uncommon motion from tight end out the defense has to shift quickly and you're going to get free releases like the dolphins it's it's very easy on the chalkboard to say hey get physical with those guys you can't do it though you can't always do it you can't because they're all they're going to create free releases for those guys and they're giving them free releases on the run they're getting the closest thing they can to that cfl head start for their speed and then putting them in space and I think the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel, I think there's credit to Mike McDaniel. Like, the scheme is outstanding. But Tua, especially on Sunday, deserves a ton of credit for how he played. I thought there were times last year where the stats were inflated for Tua, but he was unbelievable on Sunday. Big-time throws left and right, stepped up, hit Tyree Kill in stride um, for the huge pass to flip the field on the game-winning drive. If they play like that again, the Dolphins' offense is very tough to stop. But it's it's tough to just man up and get physical with those guys because they're they're too good. Yeah, I mean it's impossible to man up with Tyreek Hill. It really is. Like this is we saw last week the the whole Miami offense is essentially designed around getting helping Tyreek Hill exploit the, the fact that nobody can match up with him anyway. Like getting him into space, getting him a running start, getting him moving and scheming up a window for you to then exploit the fact that you have nobody on defense that can do anything like what he can do. I mean, I, I've said this before, but he, he has that Randy Moss overwhelming physical advantage versus other people. Like, Randy Moss has these plays where he absolutely annihilates 4-3 speed people. Like, there's a play out there that I tweeted where he just runs right by, past D'Angelo Hall. Like, D'Angelo Hall's strength was having 4-3 speed. And Randy Moss, like in with eight-yard cushion, Moss just ran past him like he wasn't there. There's nobody that can do that. Tyreek Hill has the same thing where 
he has that speed and quickness, you know, laterally in the sort of explosive, short, quick movements, you might have guys that are really quick on defense or really fast or all these things. You have nobody that can do what Tyreek Hill can do, let alone try and mirror him doing it. So it's a very, very hard problem for a defense to have to solve of how the hell do you bottle that up? And there's no good answer yet. And anything you had last year, Miami is crafting solutions to try and make it even more difficult. So, I mean, that's the game for, the, for Bill Belichick and the defense is how the hell do we stop that killing us? So those matchups, you'll see Jonathan Jones and then rookie Christian Gonzalez. Gonzalez had a pretty nice game the other day. Got, got whooped a couple times, got beaten a couple times by A.J. Brown. That's going to happen, but made a nice play on the ball, had a sack for whatever that's worth. Uh, but the, the New England defensive front also really stout. We mentioned that in, in the Eagles write-up. Christian Barmore, by the way, second highest graded defensive tackle over the last three games, for whatever that's worth. Two games to finish last year and then week one. Christian Barmore starting to look like what he, you know, the top 10 pick that we thought he would be coming out a few years ago. New England's defensive front, even though the Chargers look good on paper with Bosa and Mack, I think New England's going to be a lot better up front. They've got an interesting cornerback duo in, in, with athletes like Christian Gonzalez and Jonathan Jones who could do a little bit better. New England's going to do better, I think, against Miami's offense. And then on the other side, Miami's run defense, highest EPA per, plowed, per play allowed in the NFL in week one against the Chargers. They got run over by the Chargers. Does New England, they ran a pass-heavy game script on Sunday. Do they lean into the run game? I want to see Ramondre Stevenson. I don't want to see Zeke Elliott trudging for three or four. I want to see Ramondre Stevenson, New England run game, because I think that's the chance that they're going to they're gonna try to play that, right, to slow down, keep the ball out of Miami's hands, keep the ball out of two of his hands. That's the game I think New England's going to play, and they might have success up front in the run game, depending on which guards are playing for that's the Patriots. That's the thing, yeah. I, I spoke a lot about – well, I talked up a little bit in the offseason that the rush to – you know, right off this Patriots offensive line as a problem may have been a little bit too soon. Now, Riley Reef is hurt now. You're not, so, it was the guards, though. It was the two yeah, rookie yeah. guards so, that it, got wrecked. Exactly. So they started two rookies on that offensive line week one, and both of them really struggled. Now they struggled against Jalen Carter and, you know, what we think is an extremely good Philadelphia defensive line. But still, they were a problem in week one. If that's something that doesn't change the Patriots offense is is going to be struggling. Like, it's very, very difficult to run a competent offense with both guards getting wrecked on a regular basis. All right, man. Where are you going with this this one? Miami's favored by two and a half. Have a chance to uh, really take control in the AFC East here this week. Yeah, I, uh, I hate it, but I'm going to lean into the Miami winning. I don't – and covering. I don't – I just don't know how you stop Tyreek Hill the way he's currently playing. Yeah, I, won't, I, I keep taking the favorites here, Sam. I don't love it at all. I don't love it. Miami's starting on the road, by the way, back-to-back weeks. That is rare. Miami, and New England at home, back-to-back weeks. Mm-hmm. If, if New England falls to 0-2, though, with eight road games left, that's not, that's not great. Um, they, they, Miami hit them early last year as well. They were number. They were the week one last year, and it was a twenty to seven victory. Yeah, it was bad. I, I mean, there should be way more optimism in New England. I think the offense will be better. The defense looks stout. I just don't know how many wins it translates to. That's the problem. They'll be better. Oh, I'm kind of leaning. Do I take New England? 
You have to. You're going back to Boston. You can't can't go back with a Miami victory prediction on the show. Sure. I'm going back. Yeah, so I'll be traveling back. I'll be doing a few remotes there. Please bear with me. Um, all right, uh, I'll take New England to cover the two and a half. Home underdogs, the first time they're going to beat Tua with uh, Bill Belichick. Mm. How about that? All right, let's go through the rest of the games. Maybe a little bit, a little bit quicker. Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. The Colts are favored by one. Battle of the rookie quarterbacks. You got Anthony Richardson for the Colts, and of course C.J. Stroud for the Texans. Mm-hmm. What's that? Well, this is the part where you say something about the football game. Is it? Yes. Oh, okay. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the Colts' offense last week looked a lot like it's going to be. It's, you know, we saw some good from Anthony Richardson. We saw some bad. We saw the flaws inherent in the offense. We saw that it's probably going to be a grind for them, even though it's viable, it works, like it functions. But it's it's an uphill battle. Um, Houston's, I think, is potentially more interesting because – I don't know that they're building to the same kind of thing. Like the Richardson project is just a kind of long, long-term, multi-year type of thing. Houston is just like, do we even have a quarterback or not? Let's hope this works, um, which becomes, I think, just much more fascinating because you, you can immediately identify or determine, evaluate whether or not C.J. Stroud is going to be the guy going forward. Um, the if you just look at the PFF grades for the Colts, it's almost like a lot of our predictions are off and it's only one game. But it, it almost fits perfectly what expectation was. The offensive line was pretty good, grading-wise, across the board, um, other than one spot. But the four out of five that we felt pretty good at about on the Colts' offensive line graded well. Michael Pittman graded well, had that long touchdown on a screen pass. The rest of the Colts' receivers, not so much. And then Anthony Richardson and then running back Deion Jackson, both below-average grades. It's almost like the Colts were played – exactly as expected the only question is i don't think anthony richardson's going to grade you know at 49 every single week i think he'll be a little bit better than that you know take away that one bad interception and it, it was a cleaner game across the board so um that was just interesting to me the offensive line's better than we expected and the the colts defensive line now here's the deal texans are beat up and not good up front other than laramie tunsil the Colts defensive line had a lot of success mm -hmm. last week. I know they lost, and people are like, oh, you got these high grades on the Colts, and they lost. doesn't matter. They won the battle up front. The problem for the Colts, though, all the inexperience in the secondary. They won the battle up front, but they couldn't cover on the back end because they had a whole bunch of unproven corners who couldn't cover. Good receivers. But the Colts have a chance. Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, those dudes, Quiddy Pay have a chance to do a ton of damage against this Texans offensive line. No, they do. Like, the Colts um, in both trenches are pretty good, which is why, you know, it's a healthy thing. It's why part of why the offense is viable, even though they have some weaknesses, because they, it's a pretty solid platform on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like we kind of know what we're going to get from the Texans, or from the Colts on, on most weeks. The, the Texans are the more high-variance sort of, open question to me at the moment um I, I sometimes it's crazy we come out of a two and a half hour recap show and there's still like a million things in my head i feel like we didn't talk about we didn't mention i don't think we mentioned will anderson the other day mm -hmm. had a really nice rookie debut not as dominant as say a uh, jalen carter but still really good um so be keeping an eye on his matchup he'll see a lot of uh, Braden smith at right tackle for the colts uh, anything else you're looking for in this one it's the Colts by one. Yeah. By the way, Richardson is 
hurt. I mean, not that I think he should still play, but he came out of that game. Anthony. Oh, yeah, at the yeah, end of the game. Dinged up. Yeah, Gardner Minshew had to come in. Right. So hopefully we'll see a Richardson-led offense rather than a Minshew-led We could also one. see Gardner Minshew. Uh, but it is possible that we get a, I've, a Gardner Minshew game. I've seen a lot of people suggest Gardner Minshew should be the guy the Jets are calling about. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an argument. We covered this a little bit yesterday with Trevor. Like, any high-end backup is a colossal upgrade over Zach Wilson. The question is, is there even any point? Because this is like, when we said the Jets, there was no point in the Jets going after Derek Carr, right? Because Derek Carr in that offense, what good does that do you when you have to go up against all these elite quarterbacks in the AFC? That's still the landscape. So, yes, it's way better than Zach Wilson, but is there any point to it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. I would argue no. But equally, I think... I mean, if it's for like a late rounder. Zach Wilson is going to have the Marcus Mariota treatment, in my opinion, which is you might want to start him for the full season, but that dude is going to play his way to the bench within a month. So you're going to have to go in some other direction. Like, you're not going to have the choice. All right, make your pick here. Uh, did I put something? Yeah, Houston. You're taking Houston. They're getting one at home here. I'll take the Colts to cover and win on the road. There we go. Okay. All right, Seattle Seahawks at the Detroit Lions. Take this, a, I have faith in PFF Bobby, and I already don't like the pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, more Tank Dell. As soon as he rolls Tank Dell up there. I'm going to text more. him right now. Tell him, Go look, get Tank. I put, I've put my reputation on the line to back you. I need Tank Dell on the field. Just don't talk about the line to him. Don't get him in trouble. I was listening to a, a podcast that was talking about it. It was Rugby World Cup stuff, right? And they were saying that, he sent one of the coaches for one of the teams is an old coach of one of the pundits that was on the thing. He was saying he sent him a text that morning to just wish him good luck, you know? So, like, imagine a 6 a.m. text to Bobby, like, hey, good luck today, rooting for you. He said that he then accidentally butt-dialed him twice during the course of the day. <laughs> and then that team lost. He was like, eh. Hopefully I didn't cause that. <laughs> Ruining his preparation for the day. That's funny. All right, leave me alone. Yeah. All right, we're on to Seattle Seahawks at the Detroit Lions. The Lions... 1-0 Lions, favored by 5.5 here. Mm. They had a bit of a shootout last year. Was it week two? It was early in the season. Um, but Lions by 5.5 here. That's a bit of a surprise for me. Are the Lions that good? A lot, of, a lot of hype here. And Vegas buying into them being that much better than the Seahawks? Yeah, I mean, are they overreacting to either one of the week one games? Or are they combining them both and just saying that's it's about 5.5 points? <laughs> I mean, there's, there was a lot of disappointing teams in week one. At an extreme level, of course, the Giants, right? I mean, the, the Steelers. The Seahawks have to be up there. Yeah. Just because of what we thought the Rams were. Now, at the same time, they ran into the Matthew Stafford buzzsaw. They mm. ran into buzzsaw Matthew Stafford, who's like, there's the smallest window possible, and I'm just going to hit it perfectly because I just feel like that this week. So that's tough to hold against the Seahawks, but they couldn't get any pressure against the Rams. The offense, they didn't even throw down the field. They were playing from behind in the second half. They're, they're not creating any big plays. All of the stuff that was supposed to be good for Seattle, or at least maybe better, wasn't there. Um, and then Detroit, coming off a hard-fought win against Kansas City, they grinded out on the ground when they needed to late in the game. The defense makes a ton of plays. They also got – they were the beneficiaries of the drops, right? If we're going to talk about the drops being a negative for Kansas City, that's luck for Detroit as well. Mahomes is leading a game-winning drive or a go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter and Tony drops a 20-yarder wide open. That's not the Lions. So there might be a little bit too much hype for Detroit with this line. 
I still love the Lions as a team. I still like them a lot. They create great offense, love their playmakers. Um, five and a half just feels like a lot, knowing what we thought we knew yeah, last week. It is a lot, but all of a sudden, Detroit now looks like they have a major uh, advantage in the trenches on both sides. That's true. Like Absolutely. Detroit's offensive line is fantastic when they have their starters out there. Their defensive line gave Kansas City all kinds of problems, and Seattle is banged up and bad on the offensive line. Both so, tackles hurt and unlikely to play for Seattle, right? Charles Cross, we'll see what happens with the report. Charles yeah. Cross and Abraham Lucas. So they signed Jason Peters off the street. Is he older than us? Is he one of the last players in he's, the NFL that's older than his we His birthday's are? January. I'm in March. Oh, I think 82? He's is he older than me? Yeah, I think but not you? No, both of us. I'm in March. I think he's January 82. Yeah, but so I'm 40. not. Oh, he's older than both of us. So January is the first month of the sea, of the year. So is if it? he was born in January of eighty two, that's older than both of us. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's that's all I was. But he also it could have been eighty three is the only thing. Oh no! Don't let it be eighty three. Let me say, hold on. I got, it, I got it. You got. It. That's good. Well, uh, that's we good have podcast. to hold halt the show for a minute to find Tyler, out. Tyler, just is, pause the show real quick. There's an so NFL can... player older than we are. Yeah, January of eighty two. He's forty one. Excellent. Forty one. Excellent. I love uh, our friend Brad Spielberger. He's like he's gonna he's gonna like. Walk, you know, step off his lawnmower and grade at 71 or what? You know, he's just gonna. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. Still, just gets out there. He is, he is Dewan Jones. He's like current Dewan Jones. He's yeah. just big and tough, and you can't get by him. And good enough in pass protection for the most part. Doesn't move that well anymore. But yeah. you know, that's what he is. I mean, look, Jason Peters had an amazing career. I still think that at 41, straight off the lawnmower, he could be in for a rough night. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if he's got to play this week, it could be. I'm, I'm saying he's saying a 71 grade maybe for the season. I agree. For the season, he could get up there. Maybe. Either way, this is tough against the Lions rush. Aiden Hutchinson had a ton of pressure the other night. Uh, James Houston is still designated pass rusher extraordinaire. Uh, Lions are tough on both sides of the ball, as you said, in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And um, Seattle's just got – we talked about the Falcons and this multi-year issue with pass rush. That's Seattle, man. Yeah. None of the guys that they've tried to invest in, nobody's doing anything. So if they can't get pressure on Goff with the way Detroit schemes it up, it's going to be a challenge. And look, Geno Smith had 112 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt against the Rams defense, which looked on paper like one of the worst defenses of NFL history and Aaron Donald. You're talking me into why the line's five and a half here. Yeah. But look, I mean, it's week one. We know weird things happen in week one, but though that's some... Like, that was a concerning performance for Seattle. They were supposed to be a good team headed to the playoffs. Their weaknesses that we knew existed were massively exposed, and weaknesses that we didn't think existed were showed up. Like, if you can't put passing yardage, whatever about, like, running into Matthew Stafford playing the game of his life, like, that's something you can't control. Matthew Stafford goes out there and just decides he's going to be him for that one game, firing, like, no-look bullets to Puka Nakua and various other guys. There's not much you can do about that generally. You can't really make that argument for the defense, though. Like, the Rams' defense still is a bad unit on, from a personnel standpoint with Aaron Donald in it, and you couldn't get anything done against that group. Every time I'm ready to overreact, though, I try to think of past situations. Last year, the Seahawks scored 17 points in Week 1. Granted, it was a win against the Broncos. Right. In Week 2, they got shut out by the Niners. So after two weeks— The, the Niners, though. It was the Niners, but still it was like, oh, there's the real Geno. Oh, he completed 70% of his passes in week one, but there's the real Geno. He's the quarterback of a team that got shut out. And then 
before you know it, they're dropping 36 on the Lions, and he's got 90-plus grades in three out of his next five games. And so let's let's if I'm going to give the Bengals a pass because I've seen them bounce back before, I've seen Geno Smith and the Seahawks bounce back before. So I'm going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm concerned with a lot of things in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I like Detroit to win the game. I think Detroit's a better team. But five and a half seems like a lot for me, so I'll take Seattle. Okay. I'm cover this. buying into Detroit hype. I'm going to take them to win and cover. You almost talked me into it, but uh, Chicago Bears at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by three. Um, mentioned earlier the JT O'Sullivan video with the Bears and just breaking down their offense. It was just fascinating seeing some plays that just don't make any sense. Mm. There were some plays that were run by the Bears that don't make any sense, yes. including in the red zone. Like red zone plays that have no chance. Not just don't make any sense, but you can't actually work out what they were. Like that was one of his points in one of these videos is that if your offense is really bad, if you can't actually figure out what the play is, like literally from what everybody's doing, I have no idea what this is. You know, there was one play where the offensive line looked to be pass blocking. The tight end looked to be run blocking. Uh, there was a running. The only guy running hard was the running back running like 80 yards to loop around the back of everybody and get in the back, back corner of the end zone. And then Justin Fields was running for his life trying to avoid an edge rusher. Like, literally, what is this? This is not an NFL play. And yet here we are. It's the red zone. It's what we've dialed up. What the hell is that? The, the thing to me that stood out was not only that, but you have other plays um, – JT's funny. He's like, I hate sprint option. You know, sprint left option, sprint mm. right option. The famous Joe Montana play. He's like, I hate that. Every team runs it. You know, in the in the tight red zone. But he's like, all right, if you're at least gonna run this play, you have to have after the first two options, you have to have a third option. And they don't have that. Like the Bears didn't have that. So one and two were taken away, and then Fields has to throw it away. Um, there's uh, there's other plays where it's like this this play doesn't exist, like you said, or the. Um, the running back is just supposed to run a swing and he runs it backwards and so the the attention to detail was the thing that stood out and it was lacking now all that said Justin Fields deserves blame too because they schemed up open plays and he's not throwing it he's still not throwing he's still not seeing it and throwing it on time and so I set up all of that to say here's the concern Todd Bowles defense is going to blitz like crazy and Fields, vision and recognition and everything is going to be challenged as much this week as any other week this year. And that looks like a really bad matchup on paper for Justin Fields and this Bears offense. Todd Bowles, the blitz, the aggressiveness that they bring to the table, I think the Bears are going to really struggle moving the ball. Yeah, one of the biggest takeaways from that game was that Chicago offensive line is still not good. Um, and they were a real problem. I mean, even uh, Luke Getze, the Bears offensive coordinator was sort of explaining, trying to explain some of that offense and was saying they caused they called a ton of like short lateral stuff because you basically didn't trust the offensive line. Like if you're saying that immediately, that's that's a pretty big red flag. Now you're going up against the Buccaneers defensive front that gave Minnesota a lot of problems up front. I mean, Vita Vea, Vita Vea is so confusing to me because the plays where he wins it's like he's the best defensive lineman in the NFL. Like he just ragdolls offensive linemen, throws them to the side, and sprints towards the quarterback. Like if you can do that ever, how can you not win at a better rate? And we've seen you can. Like there was a year where he graded in the 90s, looked like the best defensive lineman in the game. 
And then it just doesn't happen. You're like, what? I don't, I don't understand how you can be that dominant on, on one individual play and it doesn't happen again for like 25 more. Where, what, why not? Um, but like, if he gets his hands on any of those interior linemen for Chicago, I mean, he can wreck, wreck the game and they have some other players there as well. Uh, on the other side for the Bears and then the Bucks. So the Bucks offensive line overall, pretty solid mm. against the Vikings. And then the Bears, the defensive line, we talked about the Packers' pass protection. It was against the Bears, right? So it was the Bears who were unable to get any kind of pressure against the Packers. If that's the same thing again this week, you know, as long as Baker Mayfield's not feeling phantom pressure, then they should be all right as well. Um, there was a report, Buck, uh, I think it was, was it Baker? Oh, no, Rashad, uh, Rashad White said that the Bucks had the Vikings signals, defensive signals in the second half. That so, helped. So they went from, I mean, the first half, the Bucks did not move the ball at all other than that one pass. Mike Evans gets behind the defense. The second half, they had a couple sustained drives. So see how, see how uh, sustainable that is, you know, having the other team's signals, which is perfectly legal, by the way. Like, you can look at Well, it depends on how you, how you acquired them. Assuming that they <laughs> look, were just looking at them and not yeah. um, filming them from the field. Right. But, yeah, that's uh, just another interesting takeaway when you see the Bucks turn things around. In the second half, how much was it kind of knowing what was happening with they, Brian Flores? They need to find a way of irritating Baker before the game, you know? Yeah, how do find, you? manufacture a slight. Call him short. Right. Yeah. And they, look, you might have to do that internally, right? You might need to have somebody on the Bucks team that figures out how to piss Baker off every week so that you get the best version of Baker because the opposition isn't always going to oblige. So I think, I think Tampa Bay, the thing that's going to keep them in games – Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I think the reason why we talk about receivers so much is if those guys get open and create some big plays, it, it, it will offset the other weaknesses. And as long as you know Mayfield can hit them, he did it in week one, as long as he can hit them, the Bucks are going to be way more competitive, I think, than, than maybe we anticipated. Yeah, and their defense is still very talented. Like yes. That's the area of the team in a post-Brady world that has the most talent remaining. I mean, the, the receivers are still very good, but the offensive line is definitely significantly worse than it used to be. But that defense still has a ton of talent, and some of it, they've added young players to it in recent years as well. That's a unit that should still be very good going up against the Chicago offense that looked lost in week one. So all that said, I'm not ready to write off the Bears. There was a point last year where the switch flipped a little bit. Like, it was the same personnel. I mean, a lot of the same personnel, but... Fields got to be that dynamic runner, was better as a passer down the stretch. He has to be better. But there's still those games where Fields at any point can go off for 100 yards. Sure. You know, and, and running the ball, even if it's not within structure or what you want. So that's the Bears' chance, I think. Fields got to play like a star. Uh, DJ Moore's got to play like a star. They got to figure out some kind of pass rush. So still a lot of question marks here for the Bears. But, yeah, very disappointing week one. Yeah, Tampa the- Bay's looking down the barrel here at uh, – Potential 2-0 start. Right. The Bears are a very difficult team to predict in any given week because everything they do on offense is essentially reliant on Justin Fields being Superman, and that can go one of two ways. Like, if uh, Lucas Van Ness doesn't manage to corral him, that's a touchdown. Like, that tackle, essentially, on the play that made no sense, that didn't exist, Fields scores a touchdown if Van Ness isn't able to snag him in the in the flat right and most players don't do that like this is the the sort of knife edge that you or the the russian roulette that you play at all times when you're playing justin fields if you can make that play which is doable but difficult 
the offense looks disastrous. If you can't, if you miss it just a little bit, Fields runs around you, runs around somebody else, and scores a touchdown, you look like an idiot. And it does, nobody even notices that the play is one of the worst plays drawn up in NFL history. Like, it, that's, the, <laughs> like that's Justin Fields. Maybe that's so, all they wanted, him to outrun the edge rusher. Maybe. So, you know, this Bucks defense, which is good, like one guy screws up one play, Justin Fields scores a touchdown, and, you know, that happens three times in the game. It's like, oh, the defense got wrecked by Justin Fields all day. Like, that can be... 57 plays break their way, and three don't, and it's like Fields owned the Tampa Bay defense. It's a real all-or-nothing approach when you're facing a guy like that. Oh, I don't know, man. Maybe uh, – I like Tampa Bay for a lot of reasons. I don't, I still don't trust them offensively, but I don't trust the Bears defensively either. So yes, I don't know. that's a big issue. Um, and I think, I think Tampa Bay on paper should have – they should be given fields in Chicago trouble other than what you said if he breaks a couple big runs. Give me the Bucs by three. Ugh. Yeah, I don't, right. I don't like this one, but I will go also with the Bucs. Over-under is 41. I could see a low-scoring game, and then, I keep, and then I'll contradict myself and say, but how are the Bears going to keep somebody low-scoring? They're not. I mean, just because there's a few busted, there's busted coverages in there. There's too many bad plays for Chicago. Well, remember, like, front. we're also like the opposing quarterback is Baker Mayfield. Could be any Emin- like eminently possible. To, Anything to, can happen. Yeah, here. to give them a low scores and b turnovers. Oh, it's Baker off of a good game too. I know. I might go Chicago. I'm going Chicago. I'm changing. You're doing it. It's, but it's his home opener too. Every, not, That's not a good thing. But nothing makes sense. No. Yeah, he won't be mad enough at home. He'll be too happy. All right. A lot of talk there. Los Angeles Chargers at the Tennessee Titans. The Chargers favored by three. Traveling to Tennessee, both teams 0-1 here. Uh, Chargers coming off that disappointing 36-34 loss, was it, to the Chargers? Mm-hmm. I mean, to the Dolphins? Yep. And 16-15 loss for the Titans against the Saints. Don't see that every now every It was a lot of good game. stuff for both teams in there, but obviously a lot of bad, too, to you know either not score for Tennessee or give up as much as he did for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, one big thing is, like, is that, is that Ryan Tannehill now, or was that just a terrible game? by him um, in a dome too <laughs> in a dome because Tannehill was awful like that's the worst version of Tannehill I've seen certainly since Miami and maybe in the NFL that was horrific that game the one other thing I the, the phrase I've used a billion times here I apologize for all the times I repeat myself but the Saints defense has those games right the Saints de- defense has four five six games a year where they make everybody just look bad they but make I don't, the quarterback yeah look bad. but but this but these were unforced problems. Like, these were not, oh, God, the defense is suffocating him. He's, he's in trouble. It's like this was just Tannehill going, what the hell? And then, as I said, it wasn't even just, like, terrible decision, YOLO into double coverage, nuke is up there somewhere. There was also, like, dialed up trick play, balls in my hand, wide open, a conquo down the sideline, oops, overthrew him by five yards. Like, it was catastrophic in every possible way for Tannehill, not just, like, you know, forced errors by the defense so I don't even think the Saints defense having one of those types of games explains what we saw from Tannehill as yet it is unexplained now it could be Tannehill is just old and this is who he's going to be from now on and if that's the case the Titans are screwed yeah one good matchup to watch here Tennessee's defensive line did a great job against the Saints Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons Arden Key had I think he had seven or eight pressures in that game. He was among the league leaders. Mm-hmm. And against this Chargers offensive line, should be a nice little battle there. 
Yep. The Chargers, if you were drawing up their offense, we said, like, take a little pressure off Herbert, put a little bit more on the run game, put a little bit more throwing down the field and less dink and dunk. They did that on paper, Herbert throwing down the field a little bit more. The run game was the most effective in the NFL last week. Austin Eckler is banged up, but it didn't matter. They ran the ball effectively last week. I don't know if they have that same kind of success against Tennessee, though. So that matchup's a good one to watch in the in the trenches, Tennessee's defensive line against the Chargers O-line. No, it is. Absolutely. Tennessee's defensive line did a really good job last week. I feel like the Chargers' offensive line is much better equipped to slow them down. And then the other element is that Chargers' offensive line, it isn't just good across the board, but it was opening up some major running lanes last week. Can they do that again this week? Like, is that going to be a feature of this offense now? Forget for a moment the combination of Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert and the extra level of aggression maybe that they're going to get in the vertical passing game like what if they've just turned into a team that can just like road grade for that run game and Austin Eckler is going to have a ton of room every time he sets foot on the field that makes that offense really fun to watch and then it's like dude can they just pull something together on defense because week one was a catastrophe it is man I they have so many names and I know names don't win football games but Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack both grading under 60. I know it was the Dolphins. That shouldn't happen. But really you should, should have. Like Kendall Lamb had a good game at left tackle. There was one bad pass block rep against Joey Bosa. Yeah. Um, That's one of the worst games I can remember Joey Bosa having. Like, look, every edge rusher, every edge defender has bad games. You know, it's not like even the best guys. There's, there's a game where they don't show up or they don't make an impact or whatever. Like Joey Bosa has had games where he's not made an impact. Um, the wild card game against Jacksonville didn't do anything but that was really bad if you can't I mean Joey Bosa is supposed to be your impact defensive lineman if he isn't that changes the dynamic completely and Khalil Mack yeah I was trying to give him a pass for last year and you know maybe it's just yeah, we, we've seen Von Miller have that dip and then come back and and Khalil Mack didn't look like he had it so if if Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack are not as advertised, this defense is in trouble. Right. Khalil and Mack may well. player number three doesn't matter. He had a nice pass breakup the other day, but, like, nobody played well the other day yeah. at anything. Khalil Mack may well be, you know, on the decline and just simply not the player that he used to be. Joey Bosa shouldn't have that excuse and needs to bounce back. So the other end of that is they're playing Miami. And if we're yeah. going to talk up how well Miami played and how well Tua played and how difficult it is to cover Tyreek Hill. Totally different. Now you're going to Tennessee where Tannehill, you know, whatever he is, but it's a lot easier to cover DeAndre Hopkins and friends in Tennessee than it is Miami. And it should be better. It should be easier up. I don't want to say it's easier up front because Miami's offensive line on paper shouldn't be great. But there should be an opportunity to bounce back defensively here for the Chargers. If they don't, really concerned. Well, there's also now there's a very clear blueprint to attacking Tennessee's offense in a way that isn't there for Miami like you might know that you need to stop Tyreek Hill but they're the way that Miami's offense is scheming him open it's almost impossible to deploy that whereas the Titans it's like just stick two guys on New Hopkins every play that's where he wants to go with the ball like New Hopkins had 12 targets nobody else had more than seven and that was Nick Westbrook-Akina who only started getting them right at the end it's like it's New Hopkins or nobody. It is funny. Like Nuke is a serious target magnet. Yeah. Right. Like it's not like across multiple quarterbacks, and it's because he's good. Right. But 
he does, even when he's covered. But it can be damaging. It does urge you, right? We, we've seen, we saw Deshaun Watson do that. We saw Kyler Murray do it. There are games where Nuke gets all the targets no matter what he's doing. And, um, and that usually works for you, but can work against you too. Yeah, I mean, look, having a great receiver is, is obviously fantastic, but there is a danger in it warping your perception as a quarterback so much that you simply start ignoring what you're seeing and YOLO the ball in his direction no matter what happens. I mean, this was the debate when it came to Calvin Johnson and Detroit. When is too much? Last week was too much of to hell with it. Let's just fire it in the vague general direction of New Hopkins. They were, like, Tannehill was throwing the ball to Nuke and nobody else until late in the game, and it was costing him ridiculous turnover-worthy plays. I mean, if you're the Chargers and you do anything other than just strict double-team Nuke all week, at least start off the game that way and then see how it progresses, I, I don't know if you watched the tape from last week. All right, one other factor here. Uh, we're talking about the Chargers' defense as a whole, but their run defense in particular, that multi-year issue, going up against Tennessee, Derrick Henry – Oh, man, this could be the game, right? At home, Tennessee's back at home now. They start running it down the Chargers' throats here. Absolutely could see that happening. And I mean, the Titans are getting three. Yeah, you got to start that way, right, and see if the Chargers can yeah. stop the run. Titans have a chance. Again, I, I like the Chargers' offensive line, but the Titans' D-line and the Titans' run game, I don't think Tannehill will be as bad as he was last week. I like the Chargers still. They're going to be fine. They'll be all right. But I think I'm leaning Tennessee this week. Yeah. At home, I, getting three. I don't love that run game matchup, but I think there's enough in the Chargers' favor. I think they'll neutralize Tennessee's pass rush. I think their offensive line has an advantage as well. I think their passing game is better. And I think there's a very clear blueprint to stopping Tennessee's passing game. So basically, the Chargers are better across the board, except if their run defense hasn't improved to the point where they simply can't stop Derrick Henry rattling off four and a half yards every time he touches the ball. Which is possible. Which yeah. is possible and might be enough on its own to like swing the game back in the other direction. So I'm leaning to the Chargers, desperately hoping that doesn't happen. All right, I'll take Tennessee. Don't love it, but I'll take Tennessee getting the three. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders at the Buffalo Bills. The 1-0 Raiders at the 0-1 Bills. The Bills... Favored by nine and a half. Here. Nine and a half. This is where... Damn. Think about all the factors here. The Raiders won by one against Denver. Yep. And in Denver, right? And Buffalo lost to the Jets in New York. Mm-hmm. I know the Aaron Rodgers thing. Home state. Same state, true. The only home state. This is To me, this is almost just respect for the Jets' defense that Josh Allen having that type of game is as much the Jets' defense. It's been this mm. multi-game issue going up against the Jets that the, uh, the man in Vegas setting the line is saying, all right, that's not, that's not an every-week occurrence for Josh Allen. Well, I know the stats yeah. that are going around, and Josh Allen's last 10 games is 15. However, you're slicing and dicing it, and it looks pedestrian. But um, Josh Allen's not going to have a 49 grade every week with four turnover-worthy plays, chucking it into double coverage. No. So that's what that's where that line's coming from. No, sure. It, the concern there was many concerning things out of that game for Buffalo, but the biggest was that Josh Allen simply could not control himself from doing anything crazy. Like he had a, he was compelled 
to play like an idiot in a game where he should have been able to go, look, it doesn't even, like, I, I can do anything as long as I don't, like the Desmond Ritter approach, simply as long as I don't throw the ball to the defense, we win this game. That's the only way. They had a 10-point lead, and Peyton Manning is on the broadcast pleading with the Jets to not let Zach Wilson throw the ball, ever, for the rest of the game. And Josh Allen took it upon himself to, like, give them the lead. I'll just keep throwing it back to them until they win. That's essentially what he did in that game. If you can't control yourself under those circumstances, that's not a, like, you have no control. You don't have the self-control to stop yourself losing the game. I have, uh, I've come to the same conclusion as you, and I think a lot of people. And he has as and well. I'll, I mean, in the press conference, the dude was like crushed that he literally couldn't stop himself doing that. Here's why the whole thing's a problem, right? There's nuance to all this stuff, right? So the, no. the lack of nuance is, oh, finally, Josh Allen looks like he did at Wyoming. This is Wyoming Josh Allen. Well, that's not true. Like he's, I don't want to, you know, he's not that bad, right? He's not that bad. <laughs> We've seen a lot of good from Josh Allen. The other end of it is, look at all the turnovers. You can't win with all the turnovers. You could, though. You have, right? Let's not rewrite history. Right. The Bills were one of the best teams in the NFL last year, the previous year, and the year before that. They're, they're still probably one of the best teams in the NFL this year. You can win with the Josh Allen turnovers. You can, because the, you mentioned earlier, or earlier on the show, because of the greatness that he brings to the table. He's going to create five or six or seven chunk plays per game, you can live with the turnovers. At some point, though, what you can't live with is a lack of understanding of game flow and game control. And if Josh Allen wants to be the elite of the elite, there's got to be games where he's conservative. There has to be games. So overall, just like the turnover numbers, can you live with it? Yes. Can you live with turnovers the way they happened in that game? when all, you, the, the Bills could have taken a knee for the rest of the game and punted yes. and won the game. And he decided to throw the ball into double coverage which is a bad decision. And then he also dropped a snap. Didn't he do that twice? He dropped a snap, picked it up, and then fumbled again. Those are just unforced errors. That's not decision-making. That's unforced. You're putting the ball on the turf. And also exposing himself to the kind of hits that, again, in that game of all games, you don't need to do that. Yes, the Jets' defense is nasty, but you have such an advantage. Just don't take that shot. Like... Look, we talked about in the offseason. He understands that he needs to modify the way he plays the game in order to have a long career and become as successful as he and the Bills want him to be. What I think Monday night showed is that he is incapable of making that determination for himself. He is simply a passenger for whatever his mind decides to do in that given play. That's the problem. It's not that you can't live with it because... You can. And there's also the flip side where if he doesn't do that in a given game, which apparently is not within his control, but if he just has a game where he doesn't go crazy and throws the ball to the defense three times or whatever, you get a Patrick Mahomes rivaling superstar that can go toe-to-toe with any quarterback in the NFL. But what it is showing is he isn't in charge of when those games happen. Like He doesn't control whether or not he's going to have a clean, great game or if, like, bad Josh Allen rushes to the surface and you get this, like, madness just manifest in a way that will ruin you the game. Like, he's right. He said it himself. He's the reason they lost that game. 100% true. Josh Allen cost them that game, and the more concerning element was he wasn't in control of that. He could not. He, he recognized it early. Yeah. He knew early, uh-oh, it's happening again, and still couldn't stop himself doing it. 
that is a big worry. It, it, it absolutely is. That's my biggest takeaway. It goes back to that chart we always reference where the, the Peyton and Brady. The, it's yeah. How aggressive are you when you're leading? And then how aggressive are you when you're losing? And when you're leading, aggressiveness goes down. When you're losing, aggressiveness goes up. And it's a perfect curve right. for the best quarterbacks of all time. This is not to say that neither Tom Brady nor Peyton Manning ever had bad games or had games that spiraled out of their control or you know all these kinds of things. Both of those quarterbacks would have halted the slide halfway through that performance. They would have maybe made the first mistake, maybe made the second mistake, and then they would have gone, what the hell am I doing? We're buttoning this up. We're going in a different direction. I'm going to hand the ball off every play. I'm not going to take any risks whatsoever. I am st- I'm not going to be the reason we lose this game. Allen apparently can't stop himself doing that. Like He doesn't have the self-control to make that call mid-game and stop it getting away from him. That is a massive concern for this Bills team because it means essentially every time they step out onto the field, it's a roll of the dice whether they're going to get that Josh Allen or not. Now, they're back home. Yep. Where they've had some they've they've had those other games where Josh Allen in the first quarter goes five for six for a buck fifty and three touchdowns. Yeah. And the Raiders have the type of defense where I think that could happen. I was impressed with the Raiders defense in week one. They did some really nice things. I still don't really trust their corners against this uh, against the Bills here. And um I don't think Allen's gonna lose his aggressiveness because of what happened. He's gonna keep chucking it down the field. Now you just don't throw it in double coverage. <laughs> Like, just don't throw in a double coverage. You still, at some point, you have to read the coverage. Um, and don't, don't drop the ball. I don't think he will as much. Um, Raiders look good in week one. Yeah. I mean, they could have, I mean, if, they, if one thing goes the other way, we're like, oh, they lost. Right. Um, but the defense played pretty tough. Jimmy Garoppolo leads the fourth quarter comeback. There's, Jimmy G was great. I mean, yeah. that's the biggest thing for them. Like, you, you know, you look at the marriage of, oh, you went, you got rid of your quarterback who was pretty good, and your solution to that was Jimmy G. You're like, that's just. That just doesn't feel good, right? It's, it's a fairly underwhelming solution to the problem. I mean, Jimmy G was great. He looked really, really good. And if that, you know, the, there's this sort of running joke that Jimmy G is the best quarterback in the NFL by EPA per play because of his career, right? I mean, he was again this week, I think. He had the best yeah, EPA per play there, of any yeah. quarterback in the NFL with the Raiders. Like, if he is just somehow able to <laughs> be that guy who has absurd production regardless of on a you know efficiency basis, that's... And I'm not trying to take anything away from him because he did play really well. He had the beautiful pass to Jacoby Myers. He had two touchdowns to Jacoby Myers, but a third one that could have been right. right on his hands. And he did that with Devontae Adams losing, quote-unquote, the one-on-one battle with, with Patrick Sertan 2, 2.0, PS2. Yeah. Like, he lost. Patrick Sertan got the better of him overall in that game. So... This was not like Devontae Adams just balled the hell out and, you know, what could Jimmy G have done other than simply toss the best receiver in the game the ball over and over again and rack up production. He had to do it by himself a lot of the time. Yeah, and again, I'm not taking anything away from Garoppolo, but I think he stepped into a nice situation because Adams is still a stud, um, whether he's facing Sertan or not. And Myers is a perfect two, and Austin Hooper had a really nice catch the other day. Like, there's, there's pieces there that look good. Um, I'm curious to see the Raiders' run game here against the Bills' run defense. I know the Bills' run D was better last year. It was not good on Monday night against the Jets. They can anytime just allow some of those big plays. And um, I think the Raiders have some opportunities there, maybe for an explosive play or two in the run game. I like Buffalo bouncing back. I just don't know about nine and a half. That's a lot. Yeah, I think they bounce back. I I don't think Josh Allen has that kind of meltdown two weeks in a row, um, though it is 
as I say, a roll of the dice in any given week. So I think they bounce back. If they bounce back, their offense is way too good for uh, the Raiders' defense. But I actually think the Raiders' offense is going to be in reasonable shape. They're, they've got a lot of playmakers, and their offensive line looked really good in week one. If that line is going to be at that standard all season long, it kind of it moved in the right direction fairly consistently all the way through last season. Um, it didn't look great on paper in the offseason, but they, they were much better week one. This could be like a decent high-scoring game on both sides, at which point nine and a half is just a lot of points to cover. So I will go with the Raiders covering, but probably still losing the game. Yeah, I'm taking the Raiders covering the nine and a half as well. Take Buffalo to win. Um, by the way, Tyree Wilson did make his debut last week for the Raiders. 37 snaps, graded at 40. Hmm. Wasn't a great debut for Wilson. Just pointing that out. Except that when they have one play where he like absolutely put a dude on skates. Uh, not sure that was in this game. He no. may have had. I think he had maybe one pressure on thirty rushes or whatever. So okay, could have been. And if that was going around as like evidence of what happened, <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't suggesting that. I was simply the other twenty nine were concerned. I thought there was a good play in there. Maybe I'm. I'm sure there was. Maybe I'm remembering a preseason play or Sin- something. Yeah, the preseason one he did to the, the Cowboys tackle was r- ridiculous guy got cut uh 49ers at the rams 49ers favored by eight battle for uh, first place here in the nfc west first place in the nfc west yeah it's true um rams coming off that impressive win against the seahawks controlled the game we talked about elite stafford this was just out of out of his mind awesome stafford i mean he looked better this week than i think at any game during the super bowl run not any game, but there were there was points in the Super Bowl run where he was making fourth quarter comebacks and incredible throws and everything. But like a start to finish game where Stafford did the work. On the Super Bowl run, it was a lot of Cooper Cup doing the work. There was a lot of open throws. Remember the Bears game, this you know, Orlovsky's telling us it's Stafford's eye manipulation. It's like, no, the dude just busted the coverage for 70 yards. There was a lot of that in the on the Super Bowl run. But this was the Lion Stafford who's like, there's no window there, I'm going to make one because my arm's incredible. I'm going to throw it sidearm and I'm going to throw it 100 miles an hour and put it exactly where I want. That was this game for Stafford, elite Stafford. And uh, he did get the most out of Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua. I just don't know if he could do that every single week. Yeah, and then I the mean, Niners looked like a juggernaut going up against the Rams who are still, they were impressive last week, but overmatched on paper. Matthew Stafford is almost like the exact opposite of what we just articulated with Josh Allen, is that every now and again, instead of a disaster game where Josh Allen can't pull himself out of it, every now and again, Matthew Stafford is just feeling it so hard that he's just going to, everything he attempts turns to gold, like the Midas touch throughout the game. Everything he wants to do, no looks, like ridiculous off-platform throws, fires it into windows that don't even look like they're there. Every now and again, you're going to get one of those games from Matthew Stafford, and nobody's in control of when it happens. The defense isn't, the offense isn't, Stafford isn't. Like, one every down again, Stafford just goes, oh, today is it. I am cooking today, and we're going to blowtorch whatever defense we're going up against. Yeah, I mean, if the Rams ever get that version of Stafford, they're, they're incredibly difficult to beat because that turns him into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But who the hell knows if that's going to get repeated this week or if he just goes back to being Matthew Stafford. That was what I told Zach when, he, uh, when they traded for Stafford a couple years ago. I was like, figure out how to bottle up that three or four games of Stafford and, and make it happen every, year, every, every week. It's a challenge, man. Um, but yeah, the Rams defense going up against this Niners offense and everything that 
Kyle Shanahan does with all those healthy playmakers. We talked to the other day about Brandon Ayuk being one of the best players in the NFL in week one, and he's usually the fourth guy you mention on that offense. Not be, We might start mentioning him earlier, you know, over Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, it's not even that's over. How scary it's just are. that everybody on that offense is a freak matchup problem. And, and so that's going to that's gonna show itself differently every single week. Yeah. Right? There will be games where Christian McCaffrey has 10 catches right. and makes plays. There will be games where Debo's used as a back and a receiver, and there will be games where George Kittle mm-hmm. goes off. So it's, it's, you can't judge their quality maybe by stats. You know? There will be games where Ayuk doesn't even have to make a catch. Uh, I think they've that's already what makes shown, the Niners so good. Yeah, I think they've already shown that basically everybody you mention in that offense in terms of skill position players is top five at their – respective positions depending on how you you know articulate it like Debo Samuel is is in a weird spot of sort of straddle like he's unique there's nobody out there like Debo Samuel so from that perspective he's top five just as a playmaker um everybody like all of them and yeah they can't all coexist at the same time but they don't need to because one of them is going to cook in any given day not it's just the way it works so you know, as long as Brock Purdy continues doing what he's doing, that offense looks like an absolute freaking juggernaut. And it doesn't even matter if the offensive line has problems. I mean, T.J. Watt annihilated Colton McKibbitts week one. And it didn't make any difference whatsoever. They still rolled. So, you know, the 49ers defense showed that it's still legit. I mean, there was a concern, or at least I raised the point, they've now lost defense coordinators, like, back-to-back, effectively. They've had multiple guys walk out of that building for head coaching jobs next man up I mean next man up still look pretty good so yeah the 49ers look really good the defensive line grades for the Niners were just out of this world nobody eight guys graded at 70 or better including Javon Kinlaw yeah who's you know not played well at all for the first three years of his career he actually looked pretty good on on 24 snaps so uh Javon Hargrave did his thing Nick Bosa did his thing I mean those guys Drake Jackson your guy uh, three sacks by our numbers. The Drake Jackson development will be fascinating because he he felt like a guy that could step into that D Ford role for them. Remember when Nick Bosa was amazing and D Ford was like the designated speed rusher on the other side. The thing that Drake Jackson had coming out was the most picture perfect speed rush bend around the edge that everybody tries to look for when they're scouting edge rushers. You know, that run the hoop get low, speed around the corner, how far can you bend on that ankle, like what's your ankle flexion, all that kind of stuff. Drake Jackson had the best in that draft class. It was incredible. And even if that's all he has, those plays destroy offensive tackles. Like, so even if he only wins, you know, three times in a game, those three plays could be three sacks because those are the plays that offensive tackles can't block. So if Drake Jackson has become that player, for the 49ers and Nick Bosa is back in action and Javon Hargrave is doing his thing in the middle. Like, dude, that's potent. The We got to go a little bit quicker, but the one last thing I just want to say, Rams offensive line was really impressive. Yeah. It's going to be tough to be impressive right. this week against now the let's, Niners. Now let's a, see what he can do. This was the exact thing that happened with Joe Noteboom in the past. He was fine against average rushers, below average, but you go up against Nick Bosa and others and he got beat up. I yeah. mean, so that's where... This entire line, I, I have those same types of questions for Alaric Jackson and everybody up front. Just, again, we did this last time, but Alaric Jackson, Steve Avila, Coleman Shelton, Joe Noteboom, and Rob Havenstein. That was the five that started against Seattle, and all of them did well. 
that five on paper looks terrible. So, you know, are they actually better than people thought they were? Or is Seattle simply unable to generate any kind of pass rush? Now you have the 49ers. We could immediately be saying, oh, this is this changes everything. All right. I got the Niners covering the eight God, in L.A. I know it's a lot, man. I know it's a lot. And we just saw the Rams lot. and they like, what if we just ignored last week? Like, if you just ignored last week, you wouldn't even think twice. Of course, eight. Of course, the Niners are eight points Would better you? than the Rams. Last week happened. It matters, but oh, I don't like eight. Plus, the Rams are at home. I don't like eight. All right, I'll go with the 49ers as well. I have to buy. I, had, I buy into what they did week one. All right, I'm skipping. We're going to make this game last. <laughs> Giants and Cardinals. How dare you? We got We usually do this in two hours, and we got five games left. So, um, Jets at Cowboys. Okay. Cowboys were favored by three and a half. Now it's a lot more than that. Now it's nine and a half. Yeah. Three and a half, like, you know, a week ahead when they thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be the quarterback. Right. Now it's up to nine and a half for Dallas. Um, our guy Brad Spielberger <laughs> tweeted out the um, Cowboys schedule. I think they have the Cardinals in week three. And he was like, man, they might not give up a touchdown until week four because they have the Jets this week and the Cardinals next week. So what are the Jets going to do? What can they do here? Nothing. I mean, their defense can. Their offense is, is boned. I, I really think it, it, the Jets can run the ball, try to run the ball, get the ball into Brees Hall's hands. I mean, Brees, Brees Hall's getting to this point. My young Dalvin, young Dalvin Cook a few years ago where you know, you'd, you'd trust Dalvin to maybe break one at any given time. Brees Hall breaks off these big gains. He had the 83-yarder the other day. That might be their best bet, is to just play super conservative. It's their only bet. And like then the, you have to – if if you have Zach Wilson, he has to drop back 30 times. You know, 10 of those are screens. Um, eight of them are rollouts. Now you got 12 passes left. And uh, the rest are you – know, you just need Wilson to make like three or four decisions. Like only give him three or four decisions to make in a game. It's really difficult to do. But remember the game where the Rams – we're, in 2019, the Rams ran only screens and boots against the Niners. Screens yeah. and boot action. Can you get away with that? Are you, can you be so afraid of the Cowboys' defense and Zach Wilson's decision-making that you take all of the decisions out of his hands and just do that to slow down the pass rush remember when and the, hand it to Brees Hall? Remember when Rex Ryan had a traffic light system for Mark Sanchez? Did he? Yeah. It was like green means pass or whatever like he literally broke down whatever the play calling thing was to traffic light system like just color coded maybe zach wilson needs that like every every time it's just a red light in the sideline and then third and you know whatever a mile it's all right fine green and then boom, interception yeah like i honestly this wilson's not as bad as he was last year i don't think he'll be a little better this year i don't know I mean, that interception was ridiculous. He, he looks pretty bad. That was bad. And then, they, you know, I saw the stats after the interception. That was when they said, okay, we're, they're going to do the strategy I just said, yeah. which was all screens, all yeah. the simplest stuff you can, you can get that has nothing to do with the QB. Yeah. He made two, two or three good They throws. need to just – I mean, they need to draw up an offense that doesn't involve the quarterback. Like, every play is handoff to Brees Hall or dump it off to an, in a screen or a trick play, and Zach Wilson doesn't participate in this offense until – we're so far down that he has to throw the ball, and then we just, you know. I, w- I would almost draw up that offense and then simply say, all right, defense, good luck. If you can make miracles happen, fair play to you, but otherwise we're just going to minimize the damage. 
I mean, you still want to throw him up to Garrett Wilson. What a ridiculous catch that was. You still want to <laughs> lean a, into the playmakers. On a bullet that was thrown to the corner. Like, like, I think we're going to over... We, Zach Wilson picks out the cornerback and throws him a beautiful pass. And, Zach, and Garrett Wilson goes, no, no, no. Breaks it up and then catches it himself. I think we're going to overstate the Zach Wilson thing. I think he's going to be better. I think he's better this year. But Based on what evidence? We're not going to see it because I think the offensive line still has issues. And Buffalo got pressure. And the Cowboys are going to get a lot of pressure. And then next week it's New England and they're going to get pressure. And Zach Wilson... Yeah. You know, the ghost that Sam Darnold saw, he sees the same ones against the Patriots. Yep. That's going to be the problem here. I think Zach Wilson looks a little more confident. He's making a few more throws than he did last year. The bad ones are still there. Making a few more throws. But the pocket presence is not good, and he's going up against fierce pass rushes. And that's where I think it's going to be an issue. And the line looked like a weakness. I mean, obviously, you know, the the Aaron Rodgers thing is what it is, but it was already a weakness and a concern going into the season. You're like, is that line going to be bad enough to undermine everything else? Now – Everything else is not good either because your quarterback just went down. So that, going up against the Dallas line that we just saw, eviscerate the Giants. I, the only way this game can go in the, in the direction of the Jets is if the Jets' defense does, yes. makes miracles happen and creates some turnovers. They were as advertised the other night as much as we want to blame. But look, Josh Allen made some really bad decisions for whatever reason that you say the Jets forced him into those or Allen did it. The Jets play really good defense. We know that. Um, we get to see a little Sauce Gardner and CeeDee Lamb matchups whenever those go. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know much about Dallas's offense yet. They didn't have to do anything right. last week. Um, they're going with the undersized running backs. It'll be interesting to see how they deploy all their pass catchers and their weapons. So, yeah, I think it's, it's actually a fun game, but it's, it, it's one of those where the Cowboys should roll because they're better on, they're better on offense comparable defenses um, unless Zach Wilson just you know pulls something out here yeah or if it's Brees Hall man like the other part Brees Hall like Brees Hall looks like a a guy that could have a 50 yarder per game like that's that type of thing could happen sure and um, I might just see the opposite of what Steve likes to do see how many times I can run it yeah I mean like honestly that you know the Ireland played a soccer game recently against France who were the best team in the world arguably and it was like the analysis going into that game was what how bad a defeat would you take now if i offered it to you like two nil would you take that right now rather than actually play this game and get potentially waxed by six if you're the jets i would simply construct a quarterbackless offense and say if we can keep this within 10 points add some perspective man they just beat the bills with the guy you're talking about zach wilson coming off the bench right because josh allen went like mad and threw them the ball Well, Dak led the league in interceptions last year as we know like, this was if if somebody if it later emerged that Josh Allen was at the center of like a gambling ring of fixing games that, would make sense. that game would make sense right that's how bad that was so I'm I'm sure he isn't legal for legal <laughs> listening I'm sure that's not the man but that that makes more sense you're getting than us into happened. more legal trouble I got the buffers and Ray Lewis just add Josh <laughs> Allen to the mix yeah now. why not we're already in a you hole. have to sign another apology right. form with your lawyer. Well, look, we, uh, we're – who gets sued? Is it us or PFF? You know? That's Those point. are the questions you got to ask. Anyway, my, my point being, that makes more sense than what actually happened. So unless that happens, I don't see how the Jets can keep this within 10 points. All right. Juggernaut Dallas, I'll take them to cover the 9.5 as well. I'll be interested to watch. I, I, I mentioned I'm intrigued by Zach Wilson. I guess I'm intrigued by how teams 
scheme it up around deficiencies. Oh, it's and car crash can, TV every I week. I kind of like watching that. Not like for every quarterback, but for younger quarterbacks. Like I like seeing how can you can you get that magician offensive coordinator? Like I'm just Nathaniel like you'll hack it to make it happen. There, the the Jets are maintaining that Zach Wilson is their starting quarterback for the rest of the season. Games like this are why that will not happen. Like he will not make it to October as the starter because he's going to be destroyed. I think the order of the games are challenging. Yes, Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs are all coming up. That's rough for the Jets. That would have been awesome TV if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. Correct. To go to. Is very sad. And we're going to see a lot of it because it's all in prime time because of Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> very sad. Feel for the yeah. Jets fans and for, for Aaron Rodgers. All right, Washington Commanders at the Denver Broncos. Broncos favored by three and a half here. Can uh, Russ and the Broncos bounce back here? Hmm. Interesting game. Um, I thought both of these teams looked a little bit better maybe than the results showed. Obviously, Denver didn't even win the game. Washington made it a grind and ended up getting it in the end. Didn't cover. Right. Um, against Arizona, who we expect to be the worst team in the NFL yeah. this year. So I, I thought both offenses actually looked a little bit better. The The Russ Wilson dynamic was interesting. When we talked about this on Monday, my reaction at that time was, for the first time, I think Russ was getting let down by his receivers. Like, he just had nobody to throw to. Uh, having watched a bit more, I think it's actually somewhere in the middle. I go think, back to the film. Yeah. yeah. I think Russ still was getting let down by those receivers. Like, they were a problem. But I also think there's too many plays where, and he's always done this, he just passes up open receivers. Like, yeah. this, was, this was a discussion in the let Russ cook era is, how do you best do that? Because he doesn't take the slant that's right in front of him. For some reason, the dude will look at it, it's called, it's open, it's designed, and he'll just go, eh, not, not today. Not, not right. Not right now. I'm not feeling this one. And he'll pull the ball down. He'll try and make something else happen. Like you just, that's fine if you're a magician and you have all these deep throws on the table. But in a league that is trying to take away explosive plays, you can't pass up the free seven yards. You got to take it. You have to. You have to take seven yards when it's on the table and called and right in front of you. And he still won't do that sometimes. So I feel like we're in this world where Russ is going to kind of trap himself in at a ceiling of being in decent quarterback he can't get back to where he was because the game has changed there were there were there was a lot of that game from a russell wilson and broncos offense perspective that looked like last year yeah last year they would either start hot and then just fizzle or they'd start horribly yeah score a touchdown late win like 12 to 10 or whatever it was but it all ended up with you're scoring 15 16 points and the totality of the game, there's, it was just spurts, and mm. that's it. There was just so much inconsistency. And so that's a bit of a concern, I think, coming back that maybe you um, just can't. it looked a lot like last year, no matter whether it's Nathaniel Hackett as head coach or Sean Payton. First game, but it looked like last year. Right. You, the NFL is too hard for you to voluntarily leave plays on the table just because for whatever reason you don't like them or you don't you've decided not i'm not going to take this thing that's schemed up because it's not big enough like every you know we it's a difficult line to try and find like you talk about like the justin herbert thing right where is the balance between being too aggressive too conservative taking what's there being efficient but also taking a shot when it manufactures like i think russell wilson is just too far on the side of I have to find a big play. I have to find an explosive play. Like sometimes the play dialed up is just a six-yard gain. 
And it is, but it's there. So take the six yards, get yourself ahead of the chains, and buy yourself some margin for error because you're going to need it. That's where I think the Seattle coaching staff understood that really well. And that's why they had, if you're only going to call 35 pass plays in a game, you have run the ball more, you are running, you have a higher percentage of play action, and you're letting Russ be the big play hunter that he wants to be. That's the balance that you're trying to find there. Um, Jeez. Patrick Sertan has become one of the best corners in the NFL. We get to see him. I, his matchups every week, whether it's Devontae Adams, now you get to see him against Terry McLaurin a little bit. Yeah. Mm. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. Clearly the Raiders were saying, we don't want to throw uh, Sertan's way. We're going to go to Damari Mathis, where they had eight catches for 95 yards and two touchdowns, seven total first downs. So I think a lot of teams might be giving Sertan the uh, Namdi Asamoa treatment. Scrabble. Uh, you know, one or two targets a game, and that's it. Only yeah. when we have to. Right. I so mean, that, that's just like the interesting cat and mouse game, right? He's, is he going to play matchup? Probably not. But um, how do you get your playmakers involved and kind of avoid Sertan because there's weaknesses elsewhere? Yep. Um, I think Sam Howell was reasonably solid week one, but he's got to stop taking those terrible sacks. Like not even, you know, sometimes you're going to get sacked, but you got to stop taking the bad ones. And also when you're going to get sacked, don't make it worse. That many sacks against Arizona is the concern. Yeah. Because Denver's got guys like Randy Gregory and Zach Allen and Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper. I mean, it's gonna, it could be challenging up there. I don't know about Denver covering anything. You don't know about Denver covering anything. No, it's, I think that's a reasonable concern. Uh, but it's at home again. You know, and the Washington struggle to cover against Arizona. And by struggle, I mean didn't. Oh, I don't like this at all, Sam. That's why they put the line where it is. It is, yeah. It's designed, in fact, to make it as awkward as possible. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I, Sam Howell might get sacked another six or seven times here in this game. Yeah. But it'll make some plays. I'm going to take Denver. I'm going to do it. Ah, give me Washington. Give me Washington to cover it. Close game here against the Broncos. All right, let's just do – we'll do – Giants Cardinals before Monday Night Football. Giants Cardinals. Okay. The Giants, who have scored zero points this year, <laughs> are favored by five and a half against the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Last week, the Commanders were favored by seven against the Arizona Cardinals. Granted, they were at home. They were at home. Mm-hmm. But just a classic NFC East battle here between the Giants and Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, look, this. So there's a lot of week two questions where the, the sort of the whole big picture is how much did week one how much was it for real and how much was it the opposition they ran up against so that's a Giants question how much how bad are the Giants versus how much did they just run into a buzzsaw in Dallas particularly on the defensive side of the ball Dallas's defense Giants offense we know that offensive line isn't great looking on paper they still don't really have any receivers even though you know they've been talking up like in training camp Jalen Hyatt and all that kind of thing like, we still expected their number one receiver to be Darren Waller, who himself didn't get anything done against Dallas. Um, it doesn't look good on paper, and it ran up against a buzzsaw in Dallas. But the Cardinals' defense is a very different proposition. So now we get to sort of see, okay, what can the Giants actually achieve with this group? I think you revert back to some preseason takes, not to overemphasize the rain, but they couldn't – I mean, there was a few draw, you know, fumbles in there because of the rain. They couldn't block Dallas, of course. Um, they also didn't really have to – they weren't really challenged defensively, the Giants. Um, the other thing is the Giants' defensive line should be good. 
no matter what happened the other night, losing by a million, they should be good. And they should have a lot of success against the Arizona interior offensive line. What no. Are you smiling about? <laughs> Is Eli clipping your, uh, your catch, your save of the bottle? Oh, did he? Look, performer, former professional athlete over here. This, this is high-level stuff. You, you never lose it. Never lose the cat-like reflexes. Is that in the chat here? Yeah. Why did it get popped to the top? What are you doing, Slack? Um, no, look, I, I think it's a similar discussion on the other side of the ball. Like, Dexter Lawrence didn't do anything against a beat-up Dallas interior. Like, Dallas were down to their third-string guard at one point in that game, and Dexter Lawrence still wasn't really a factor. That's not good, but we know Dexter Lawrence from a year ago was a game wrecker. Like, he decided the playoff game in their favor against Minnesota. So, yeah, if he can't show up against the Arizona offensive line, that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> I see the catch. I see the catch. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to be so mean to the Cardinals every week, I think. <laughs> you know, they got the Barbarian and all, and he gets to go up, you know, have a few rushes against uh, Evan, Neal. Evan Neal. The Barbarian. Uh, Dude's going to have 10 sacks by, by October. But that guy, like, you can't rely on the Barbarian to have a strip sack that leads to a <laughs> touchdown every single week to cover. Like, you can't do that every single week. Now, the formula could be correct. Evan Neal, Daniel Jones. Yeah. Strip sack. That, I mean, that's strip sack potential there. Those are things that add up to, to yeah, but strip like, sacks. But to have it at the right part of the field and lead it to a touchdown, I just, you know. Josh Dobbs leading the Cardinals. Was this the most, like, inept passing week performance you can remember from, like, the league? Yes. I remember quarterbacks that had, like, 130 yards passing. Yes. is insane. There was a lot of data out there. There's a um, number of teams above certain EPA, negative EPA. It was, like, first time in a while. Um, you have these one-off weeks where it happens, but it's in week. There was some, there was some rain games. There were some weather games. That matters, but... It's a little Four, trend to keep an eye on. 14 quarterbacks had less than 200 passing yards in week one. Yeah. That doesn't count Aaron Rodgers, who had zero. Tom Brady retired. 15, All of a sudden, I guess. the uh, league can't throw the ball. The offense just Except Tua. Except Tua. Um, no, it's just something to keep an eye on. If it's a league trend or if it just happened to be what those matchups were. There was a lot of, can't wait for week two. A lot more information mm -hmm. that we'll glean here. Give me the Giants, man, to cover the five and a half on the road. I can't buy into Giants covering five and a half to, against anybody else. Going back that. to the dome. Look at the dome here. Giants going to be much better. No, not buying it. All right, we got to knock out two games here. Well, let's Maybe go. Ten minutes. Uh, we got double header. Monday Night Football. Make sure we haven't missed anything else, by the way, because it's going out of order. New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers. Game one of the Monday Night Football doubleheader. The Saints favored by three on the road here against Carolina. Yep. Um, I think that's a, you know more of a sort of disappointing outlook for Carolina. Like, they could have done anything, really, week one. They got reasonably well handled by the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, they need to show better. I mean, as I said, it was – it's a very different arg or difficult argument to construct. But I thought Bryce Young, outside of two ridiculous <laughs> decisions, looked pretty good. <laughs> With the caveat that his offensive line wasn't great, despite you know a few good blocks here or there, and the fact that his receivers aren't particularly good, I thought he looked okay. I thought he could operate the offense. Now, that being said, if he has two horrendous decisions a game, it doesn't matter that he looks good and he's able to you know run the offense well in between those glaring problems. So... You know, let's see what we can do in week two. I wonder if this is going to be low scoring again. I mean, I've, I don't think I've been as positive about an offense that scored 16 points as I was the Saints because Derek Carr and those playmakers, man, like they, they've got a lot of potential there. Now, the red zone was an issue. 
But all the playmakers, Rashid Shaheed, Chris Olave, Jawan Johnson, mentioned them all, Michael Thomas being healthy. There's firepower there for New Orleans. Yeah. But the offensive line was an issue. Yes. Derek Brown is in game record territory at defensive tackle. He had a great game the other day against Atlanta. He's coming off of a good season. Derek Brown can do some damage. Brian Burns can do some damage mm-hmm. for Carolina. So that's why I wonder if this ends up as another lower scoring game because yeah. I don't trust Carolina's offense against the Saints defense. And maybe those pass rushers up front can uh, slow the Saints down. Yeah, that I think is a potentially huge problem for the New Orleans Saints. They had, what, four of the five offensive linemen had pass blocking grades in the 40s in week one. Basically, it's similar to the the Ram story, right? Rob Havenstein, the ever-present good player at right tackle. Well, you have Ryan Ramchek, who's still one of the best right tackles in the NFL. Everybody else on the line was a problem in week one. If that happens again in week two, and as you said, the Panthers have the horses to make it a problem in week two, then it doesn't matter that Rashid Shaheed can run past the defense or that you've got Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and the whole group is good because the quarterback doesn't have the time to get it to them anymore. Like, it, that can change the game. And then, obviously, we said the other side, it's just can Bryce Young, A, avoid terrible decisions, and B, even if he doesn't have them, do they have enough with the offensive line and the receivers there for it to work? Yeah, I'm excited to see Bryce Young, prime time. I don't know how much history matters. The Saints, as I always talk about domes being easier to pass in, but the Saints have some of those elite defensive performances at home. Can they carry that onto the road in Carolina? Historically, you've, you, sometimes the Saints look like a better team and they go and uh, are a little underwhelming when they go to Carolina. I don't know how much that matters. I'll take the Saints, though, to cover the three because I still think they're a better all-around team. And I, the O-line looks like it's got some issues, but I don't think they'll be uh, that bad every single week. I think they might be, but I just don't know that – I'm, I'm worried about the fact that Carolina just doesn't have enough help around Bryce Young. And he's yeah. not yet shown the ability to stop himself having a couple of really bad rookie mistakes in a game. So J.C. Horn's out, and the Saints have – they got playmakers, dude. This feels like it could be a really low-scoring game, which makes it more difficult for them to cover. You know, But it could be another like 19-16 type of performance. All right, we're both taking the Saints to cover the three at Carolina. The second Monday night football game is the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we're going to have to go split TVs here. I got two TVs side by side. I should be able to make this work. That's got to be... Oh, but I'm on the road. I'll be you, uh, somewhere else. YouTube TV must surely have a... They'll do the, they'll do the multi-view right. on this. Yeah. Um, man, if they could just get four and four in the multi-view, though, don't get me started. Cleveland Browns at the Steelers. It's eight fifteen, so there'll be a lot of crossover between these two games. Just get ready mm-hmm. to all the fans. Cleveland's favored by two and a half. It, I just loved it in Week Two. The team that maybe was most impressive in Week One, given the expectations, the Cleveland Browns, goes up against the team that maybe was most disappointing, based off expectations, in the Steelers. It's a division matchup. And you have the Steelers going on the road. I mean, the Browns going on the road to Pittsburgh. What do you make of this one? Yeah, I mean, this is a a really interesting matchup because it's two overreaction potential teams from week one in the opposite direction, right? Like the Browns looked amazing. How much is that for real? The Steelers looked awful. How much is that for real? Or is this something in the middle that, that was week one weirdness? I'm inclined to absolutely buy into what we saw from that Browns defense. It looked very good particularly up front like I think how good they are up front is going to make the back end look a lot better certainly a lot better than last year and also a lot better than maybe it is this year like we got some pushback by on some of the grades of the Browns corners and look like 
MJ, is he MJ Emerson now? MJ Emerson was torched for a touchdown, only Joe Burrow missed the field, so it didn't count. Like, it just doesn't, but he's getting downgraded for that, right? There were some downgrades in there for those Browns corners, and they didn't happen because, in large part, the defensive front was getting so much pressure that Burrow was just, like, heaving the ball up and hoping. So I, I think that defensive front completely transforms this defense along with Jim Schwartz maximizing their deployment in terms of moving them around. You know, Zadarius Smith, that's been a feature of his game for years. That's still a thing here. Miles Garrett is being moved around as well. Now you don't know when anybody's lining up or where or how the hell to stop them. So the Browns' defense, I feel, could be absolutely for real. But I think there's a lot of pressure now on this Pittsburgh offense to say, we looked great in preseason. Everybody thinks our offensive coordinator is terrible. We need to fix this now going up against a very good defense that there's a lot of pressure on them going into this week I think I'm with you on the Browns also Miles Garrett moving around and just creating havoc up front and the Steelers were beat up man by the uh, talked about all the Niners great defensive line grades that came against the Steelers last week Um, I thought Kenny Pickett played a poor game overall the play calling talk about the play calling again and JT JT's got some funny quips about the play calling Dan O is upset about the play calling Nobody's been excited about Matt Canada you. in Pittsburgh. That was the thing we ignored coming out of the preseason with all the hype. And we mentioned it at least, but like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe Kenny Pickett can overcome it. Uh, Matt Canada doesn't put them in great position to succeed. Now Deontay Johnson's hurt as well, so they're a little bit thinner. Mm-hmm. I like the depth that they've built, but they're a little thinner. you got to go back to George Pickens, let him be special, uh, use those tight ends, and um, I think Pittsburgh will play better this week. But, man, I don't know. If the, if the Browns you know, dominate up front once again, I wouldn't be surprised. I like the way that, that Browns defense is looking. They were physical on the outside, and um, I think they're going to make it challenging for Pittsburgh. Cleveland's offense was just okay. Nick Chubb's still really good, and uh, I think he'll have his success. One of the most intriguing one-on-one matchups of the week. Dewan Jones, newly installed starting yeah. right tackle, gargantuan human being, now gets the test. Okay, <laughs> we've mentioned a lot of times there's a lot of reps where Dewan Jones wins ugly or he's in or or loses, but in an acceptable level of tolerance. You know, you're losing on this rep, but you're so big, strong, and huge that it's just about enough for us to work. That dude gets a baptism of fire against T.J. Watt in week two. That's going to be fascinating to watch. And Dewan Jones, his strength has been pass blocking. Yes. Has not been the run game right. for various reasons, assignments and quickness and the whole thing. But it's been pass blocking because we recovery length and he's tough to get around. But T.J. Watt can bend the edge. He can yes. get around. So this could be another two-sack performance. Now, we kind of predicted a two- or three-sack performance for T.J. Watt last week. It didn't matter. Right. But, yeah, it's an awesome matchup to keep an eye on. But it's also – I'm going to be so interested to see how many snaps – Dewan Jones has where he's in trouble but gets away with it you know because yeah. that could happen like he could be in trouble basically every snap against TJ Watt Watt is that good but he might also survive most of them simply by the size strength arm length you know all that kind of wingspan all of that stuff like there were preseason plays where he was he had issues but you stick one paw out you get it on his shoulder now you've just extended the gap that he has to go by two yards and that's that can be the difference between the ball coming out or not so just a fascinating matchup here to see. Dewan Jones has looked pretty good, I think. He's looked absolutely like a viable starting right tackle, but he's going up against a defensive player of the year candidate right from the get-go. And we talked last week about how, look, 
Orlando Brown couldn't deal with Miles Garrett, a defensive player of the year type of candidate. Like, defensive player of the year candidates beat up on average to good tackles, and that's what he's dealing with right out of the gate. So there's a lot on paper to like about the Browns. I, I remember there's been other times in the last couple of years where the Steelers have been embarrassed. Was it last year against the Bills? I mean, that Josh Allen had like 200 yards in the first quarter and a couple 60-yard touchdowns. Mike Tomlin's he's he's righted the ship before yeah right he's gotten them back so I, I don't want to overrate that from Pittsburgh even though I was down on him in week one I think they'll cover his home dogs here how about that I'm gonna buy into Mike Tomlin getting them back on track here I'm buying Pittsburgh. that Browns defense a bit I I'm not yet ready to write off the what I thought about Pittsburgh heading into the season but if they stink the way they stank week one again against the Browns, even though the Browns is a good defense. I just think it's, I think the drag factor on the scheme is too much to overcome. We're also like last week, it was the last week of the season last year, Deshaun Watson sacked seven times by Pittsburgh. Like he's got his own problems here. The Watson mediocre performance continued. Yeah. And we're not talking about it because the Browns defense is so good. It's going to be a factor. Right. But they got a few more plays out of him than they did last season. And and it was a rain game. So you throw it out. So throw it out. Is that every game? Do we touch on everything? Looks like it. Hope so. Took long enough. It's like two hours and eight minutes. That's a great show, Sam. I a lot of people listening, though. A lot of people showed up to YouTube. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate everybody that's new. If you're new, hit subscribe on YouTube. Stick with us. Uh, if you're listening in podcast land, hit subscribe there too. So we're always here. Leave reviews and join the Discord. Do we get the new uh, Discord link? In yeah, there? I believe I there is now a link that will permanently work in the to the Discord in the description of the show. So if you tried before and it told you it was expired or it was invalid, then give it another shot. It should work now. Yeah, hit the heart button. There's, there's emoji buttons in here. Woo, emojis. Um, but you got to do... <laughs> <laughs> Make that into something. Um, hit the thumbs up on the way out as well. Again, we were fired up. We're a day early, but look, you got you got more time to uh, to watch the preview and get through the two hours plus. Mm-hmm. All of which will be wrong because everyone's going to be on the injury report. Well, you'll have the injury hour. update Friday, right? Yeah, on the show here. Yeah, with Vic, I need to message him actually and uh, and check he's still good for that. But okay, in theory, perfect. our guy Vic Troja, uh, our medical expert, will be on the show Friday talking about injuries. He, by the way within seconds of Aaron Rodgers going down. Before we'd seen a cart, before we'd seen any problems, he was like, I think that's an Achilles. Really? I was like, oh, dude. Yeah. And then turns out he was right. People were poo-pooing the uh, video doctors. Mm. There's a lot of good ones out there who are pretty good at knowing what they're seeing. There are. And particularly because I think they were slow giving the replay that showed that. Yes. Like when you know what you're looking for, and it's like, oh, yeah, look on that replay, you can see it go pop and is. You know, his calf shrivel up into the top of his knee or whatever. You didn't, like, the first replays were all from the other side, and you didn't really see it. It was like, that just, I don't see anything there. Like, how did that hurt him? But immediately, like, I, I think even maybe before the replays, Vic had been like, I think that might be an Achilles. Yeah. So, man knows his stuff. So he'll be here on Friday? Most hopefully, hopefully, yeah. I, hopefully. That was the plan. I have yet to text and confirm. I'll do that now. I'll do that right, right now. All right, sounds good. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.